Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoryamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoryamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. It's a very strange feeling walking on stage and having all these sold out shows and then you walk off stage and you have no life. You just walk off stage. Parties didn't interest me. I mean, you know, when you start hanging around the elite in the music business, you just kind of go, this is it? I mean, there's some friends that you make, obviously. But for the most part, it's kind of, um, this was supposed to be fulfilling. No, it's not about out there. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about In the Springtime of His Voodoo, from Tori's third album, Boys for Pele. David. Hi. How are you? I'm, good. I'm doing well. You're cracking up and I'm I don't know why. I'm laughing because before you hit record, you noisily opened a Jolly Rancher with like all the crinkling of cellophane like we were in a movie and you were some crazy old lady like, oh, it's starting. Just let me get my candy. And I was just sort of <laughs> left wondering why you chose to do that now. But I support it. Because <laughs> I didn't want to do that You didn't offer on me recording. one, which is my main concern. Well, they're but right sure. there. Have one. Uh, you didn't offer me eggnog. I did. I poured you some, as a matter of fact. Yeah, but then you poured yourself a second Good glass. Lord. I'm, I'm dry. No, it's too late. Too late. Can't. I'm so tired. Uh, I'm wrapped up in my blanket. We're here recording in the springtime of his voodoo while David drinks eggnog and bourbon. Mm-hmm. How is it? I couldn't feel farther away from spring. Thank God. <laughs> my least favorite time of year. You love the fall. Yeah. You love the winter. I do. I just got back from a real fall. Where? I was in Philadelphia for Thanksgiving and it was a dream. Every holiday that I experience uh, henceforth will be garbage. Because you got to be in the leaves changing in yes. your sweater. Yes. 19 degree weather. Absolutely. It was literally 14 degrees. Uh. And um, I've experienced it. Once or twice in the past, but not specifically around like a, a major holiday like Thanksgiving. And that's, you know, it's all true. That's the way it's supposed to be. Like the Hallmark <laughs> card version of it. Mm-hmm. That's the way the holidays are supposed to feel. It's not supposed to be 80 degrees in Southern California. I feel sick. Most people would die for our weather. Let them. Uh. <laughs> I'll kill them. <laughs> kill them to get back to the East Coast. We're here talking about in the springtime of his voodoo, or as we affectionately call it, voodoo. Mm-hmm. Are you excited? Yeah. We're nearing the end of Boys for Pele. I don't know how I feel about that. It's going to be a crushing blow to me. But I'm going to be happy that we're, you know that we've paid tribute to an album that meant so much to me and to yeah. you. I mean, it's not like we left any stone unturned, really. We've so <laughs> turned those stones over and over. All we can do is move on. Yeah. To lighthearted romp like Choir Girl. Yeah. <laughs> how do you feel about In the Springtime of His Voodoo? Where does that fall for you on the album? 
like right around track 16. Uh, Del, you're so angry. He's already so angry. Do you guys hear how he talks to me? That um, was a yuck, yuck, yuck. I have a much greater respect for it now than I did at the time the album came out. I remember it being one of the more challenging songs for me, not only in, you know, the way that it sounded, but like the title mm-hmm. at the time, like when we got the track listing, that one stood out to me for sure as one of the weirdest titles. Like, really? is she serious right now? <laughs> it's long. And and then when you heard it? it, it sort of mirrored my experience of the title, I guess. It's a challenging listen. I feel like that sort of improvised scatty jazzy intro is a little difficult to get through. Really? Yeah. You disagree? I 100%. I, I, this was one of the first songs that I was obsessed with on the oh, album. Fascinating. Yeah. Because of the scatty intro and because of like how strange it was. Mm-hmm. Like It's one of the few songs on the album that's got like drums and a, and a beat and rhythm. Yeah, I was super into it mm-hmm. from the beginning. Yeah, I just remember that intro and like everything everything about the production, I guess, including the organ and that kind of droning, boo-doo, boo-doo, boop. It just, I don't know. There was something about it that was very hard to access for me. And how long did it take for you to enjoy Do you I enjoy like it now? About six months into having that album, the whole thing was kind of unlocked for me. Mm-hmm. And that song in particular was one of the few that I had a hard time with where it suddenly not only made sense, but became like very pleasurable to listen to. Mm. And I'm thinking back to maybe it's like a Blender interview or something where someone is talking to Tori about this album and she says like i never i was never under the assumption that this was my catchy tunes album although i do think that they're very catchy tunes she says and i think when it comes down to it they are very catchy tunes and there are a lot of earworms here and that um the chorus of voodoo and the every road leads back to my door section is like really really beautiful but i think it doesn't open itself up to you easily or on first listen for whatever reason so anyway well it was nice when i you know listening to the album uh, for the first times you know as i was younger it's nice to uh, be all the way at track 16 and have something to like kind of bounce to you know that that made me feel happy and that it was all going to be okay Mm -hmm. um after this really really heavy album and to the point where i liked in the springtime of his voodoo so much that i essentially ignored damage and twinkle mm. this was kind of the end for the for, for me of, of the album i would like go back and play this one again and this one again interesting especially since damage and twinkle were more traditional tory songs yeah. at that point in particular yeah. right but i never connected with them as much. i still to this day haven't really connected with putting the damage on oh yeah it's never been one of my favorite tracks um so voodoo to me, like I'm, you know, I'm all about Tori when she's like rocking out and when she's got a beat. I really liked when she was experimenting, which is why I really like caught a light sneeze when it came out. You know, it was just that, like, like you said, earworms, that catchiness of the intro or that drum loop. I really got into that. And so coming into the album, you re- there weren't really a lot of those. But in the springtime of his voodoo was mm-hmm. one and I and relied heavily on it. Crazy. You kind of mentioned as an aside percussion. This is one of only five songs, I think, on this 18-track album that has any drumming mm-hmm. or percussion mm-hmm. whatsoever, which is remarkable mm-hmm. and unusual. So, Percussion by Mino Sinalu, drums by Manu Kache, guitars by Steve Caton, Alan Friedman programmed the organs, even Nancy Shanks is on there screaming, oh no! Bagpipes by Michael Deegan and Bernard Quinn, harpsichord piano and vocals by Tori Amos. It's great. I'm always fascinated when there is a keyboard instrument on a track that is not played by Tori herself. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. happened once in a while, like Fast Horse, I think, Mm -hmm. 
it's Jean Chanel that's credited with arranging the organ. So it's like, I wonder what, why that is that Tori herself is not doing the, the arrangement or even playing right. keyboard on her own album. Yeah. That's interesting. Like here, organs and programming by Alan Friedman. I mean, she's no stranger to an organ. Right. So I'm wondering if that like came in later, like, you know, the arrangement was done and maybe Alan Friedman himself or Phil Chanel in the other case heard something in their head and mm-hmm. they laid it out for her. And she's like, Oh, I love it. Let's keep it. That's how maybe my guess is, mm-hmm. but I don't have any idea. And maybe we should save this for the musical portion, but I feel like on this song, the organ is used as more of a percussive mm-hmm. instrument. So again, maybe that just wasn't like one of her strengths at the time yeah. or there was more of a, let's try this type of thing. Have I don't know, but yeah. you know, as perhaps not as open to collaboration as Tori can seem to be, it's interesting that she would allow someone to play a keyboard instrument mm-hmm. on her own album. Yeah. Maybe she just gets tired. She's like, like, I sure. don't have enough hands. <laughs> anyway, David, how's your week? How have you been? Oh, I'm pretty fantastic. We're heading headlong into the holidays. How do you feel about that? I feel okay. From here on out, I will associate the holidays with the start of my stint on Drive All Night because it was about a year ago that I came on officially as the co-host with Mr. Zebra. So Yay. We were nogging then and we're nogging now. <laughs> well, one of us is nogging. Um, I'm happy that we've been together for a year yeah. doing this show. David, you're fabulous. Happy year anniversary. We should definitely toast that after the act break. Though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I can't move now. I'm in a blanket. And yeah. I'm just too comfy. He's in a purple eggplant bank <laughs> blanket. My, I, should I tell people what my resolution is for next year? Yeah. Mm, you might want to refine it. Okay, so. I'll do it later. Okay. Throw it, no, throw it out there. No, no, no. Well, my goal for next year, I want to call it 2019, drive all year, 52 weeks, 52 episodes. That's what my goal is. Gas is so expensive. <laughs> to drive all year. Okay. To drive all year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so my goal is to put out content every week for the whole year. So that's what we're working on. We can do it. I think we can. What's your goal for the new year? Oh my God. More, yeah, more content. More drive all night content. <laughs> more don't be afraid of your dreams content. Sure. Feels good. David's like podcast, Don't Be Afraid of Your <laughs> uh-huh. Dreams. So good. Yeah. Do you want to talk about our guests? <laughs> yeah, please. Okay. Isn't that amazing? Oh my God. The invites we sent out. Okay. I know. <laughs> Please RSVP. No one ever does. They just show up. Uh, it's hard to be a host. That's <laughs> People don't know until they do it. It's <laughs> true. It is hard to be a host. I know. Uh, you know, being a host is so much about going to. And we were going to have guests. We tried. We emailed Mino Sinalu, Manu Kache. We're still hunting for Tanya State. All these mystery people that Tori works with. But we did manage to find a super fan, Stephen Provencio, who has very strong feelings on in the springtime of his voodoo. And he'll share them with us on this episode later. Um, I would like to take a moment and say thank you to our new Patreon supporters. Welcome to the family, Adam Klein, Leah Williams, Chad Dexter, Brandon Hellman, Woj, Phoenix Static Steve, um, who's been very active on our Twitter. And also thank you to Lauren Ellis, who upped her donation amount. So every little bit helps you guys. Thank you so much. Um, And we have a lot of exciting things planned here just in a minute. So thank you so much for your support and your continued support to those who've been with us through the years. Thank you. All right. Well, should we get into it by playing a cover of In the Springtime of His? Do it. This is a crazy cover. This is Alexander Filipov doing a drum cover, playing along to Yanta's instrumental, posted to the Drum Academy webpage on YouTube, which we'll link to in our show notes, songsoftoriamus.com. Okay, here we go.
we think somebody else has access to quote-unquote power or freedom or life force. And we don't have that except through them or if we know somebody or we get invited to this party. <laughs> I find so many people kind of talking to me about when they get fame, just when I, when I get this, everything's going to be all right. When I just get this or when I just get her, it's just going to be all right. Everything will be fine. And the funny thing is, you get fame, you get a few of these things. And unless you have access to the underside of the heart, which we all do, and yours is unique to you, mine's unique to me, and I can't give you yours and you can't give me mine. Kind of just that freedom to express. So it's not about women. It's about the feminine, which you have just as much as I do. Skip to Milo. <laughs> she makes it look so easy. That's a beautiful <laughs> rendition. I couldn't even tell if it was me or you playing the album. So I remember when I was when such we were... a wang strang. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being really, really deep when we were on the dent, um, and I on the dent forums, and I was like, "How do we all feel about the begin the intro of of in the springtime of his voodoo? What do we think is happening there emotionally?" Mm. And nobody answered my question. <laughs> crickets yeah basically. did you feel alone always <laughs> um that quote that we just heard that was a quote from world cafe january 31st 1996 how do you think it's related to voodoo oh my god you know there's another quote and maybe i'm jumping a little bit ahead here but when she's talking about this song tori says that so much of it was about going to mm-hmm. i'm going to mm-hmm. or he's going to and it seems like there's, you know, when I get this thing or that thing or when I accomplish this, then I'll be happy or I'll feel complete. And I don't know. I feel like that's actually kind of um, a profound idea here, especially as she's sort of reassessing her idea of relationships. And like, will this thing ever make me feel complete or what am I really, what am I really looking for? And I just love some of the way she articulates this here. Um, when I just get this or when I just get here, it's going to be all right. And it's like, why, why do we ever want anything in life? And the answer is usually because I'll, I'll feel better in the having of it, I think. And it's like, will you? What if I just choose to feel better now? Or what if I acknowledge that I kind of have everything that I need now and that there's always like something else, even when you feel like you get what you think you needed at the time, by the time you get it, it's kind of old news already. So I kind of feel like that's what's happening here. And in the song? Yeah. And in that quote, mm-hmm. um, I agree with that. It's funny that we're approaching the song around the holidays because it's something you try to remember around the holidays too, is like that idea of like, I have everything I need now, mm-hmm. not necessarily as it relates to relationships, but in this song, I think too, what do you, how do you feel as being someone who's in a long-term committed relationship? How does that relate to you? I think it absolutely relates and, you know, around the holidays in a very real literal way I had some tough holidays earlier in life where um, I was kind of estranged from my family and I had you know a Thanksgiving or two where I was (laughs) by myself at a Denny's trying to pretend that it wasn't Thanksgiving or whatever it is looking out into the future like at one point I will fix this and I will have maybe a partner or an ideal holiday with someone in my family and that actually turned out to be true. And I kind of have my version of that now. But it's kind of in that incremental getting there that you don't really see the big picture. And like once it actually happens, it kind of makes sense. And you don't 
necessarily acknowledge it as a big kind of sea change moment. And I'm speaking for myself, obviously, but I feel like that has kind of happened for me. And it's not that I don't acknowledge it, but once in a while, it's kind of a profound moment when I'm sitting there on Thanksgiving, for example, like, oh, I actually kind of have this idealized version of it that 15, 20 years ago seemed impossible. And now it's here. And I'm kind of like, yep, happy Thanksgiving. What else do I have to be unhappy about? Or what (laughs) else am I trying to accomplish in my life that I'm telling myself this sad story around? So I think it's kind of that. Okay. Like, oh, actually, everything is not that big of a deal. And I actually do have everything that I need. I don't know. Well, lucky you. (laughs) I mean, maybe that's a bad example because the holidays are very triggering for people. Uh And I can acknowledge that because they have been for me too. But I feel like that's kind of a way to encapsulate. Like it could be about anything in your life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be relationship. Yeah. yeah, Like my, you know, my triggering issue for me now is my career. Right. And maybe, fingers crossed, 15 years from now, I'll be like, oh my God, remember that time when I was so sad and insecure about my career or my job or whatever it is. And now like I'm kind of doing what I want to be doing, but I'm sad because... What? Who knows? Now I'm old. Or like, I don't know. Whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We can always find great ways to be unhappy, I guess, is the point. Well, Tori almost had everything she needed, but this only reached number six on the Billboard Dance Club chart. Oh my God, that is sad. I've charted higher than six. (laughs) So this is from Billboard magazine. Who'd have thunk that Amos would have become the belle of Clubland? She has accompanied this feat thanks to several crafty 12-inchers that have placed her amid state-of-the-floor grooves. State-of-the-floor... No doubt her hot streak will continue with this sprawling and spacious post-production, which sews her vamps into a quickly shifting arrangement that mines electro-trance and deeply house ground. Remixers Vinnie Vero and Steven Donato had a field day with this tune, dissecting the melody and rebuilding it with a seemingly bottomless bag of sound effects and percussion rolls, perfectly designed to give peak hour club journeys a trippy, otherworldly feel. Eve, do you love anything more than a crafty 12-incher? Uh, actually, no, I don't. There's nothing else I desire this a holiday $5 season. A $5 foot long and a crafty 12-incher. <laughs> <laughs> you, we um, do have everything we need to be happy. This was just Merry you know, Christmas. <laughs> just ta- in talking about Tori Amos and uh, the placement on the Billboard charts for this song, but of course that was the remix. But this song has appeared in many, many locations. First appeared on Boys for Pele. January 23rd, 1996 was when mm-hmm. it was released in the U.S. Then there was that CD remix single where she's dressed like a lamb. She's got the little lamb, lamb. Oh, I remember. And then it was, of course, on the vinyl version of it. But then it went on to appear on five, count them, five legs and boots in 2007, which when we get to the live version of the song and we experience the journey of how the song has been kind of dropped, you know, forgotten for a period of time. It's surprising that in 2007, when she did the legs and boots, that it was on five different legs and boots. So that's great. In Montreal, Washington, D.C., Indianapolis, Nashville, and Fort Myers, Florida. And I encourage you all to go out right away and pick those up on iTunes and listen to them all for their differences. And then, of course, in the springtime of his his voodoo appeared again on Boys for Pele, the reissue, the deluxe reissue, with a surprise rookery ending that we never knew existed. So that's the history and the Billboard chart history. Isn't that exciting? It is exciting. Out of all the songs, this one has had quite a life. It has had quite mm-hmm. a life. It's a surprising and unique life, too, mm-hmm. because it's gotten a remix. You know, it's it's no professional widow in terms of, like, how far that remix went. And some might even say that it was the remix of this song that killed the remix album. And listen to Johnny D talk about that. Well, yeah, after that, we came with, in the springtime, which I absolutely love. 
in the springtime of his voodoo. Vinny Vero, and oh, that was flawless. And um, obviously, it's it's extremely hard to follow up a record that not only is that big on a pop side. But, I mean, just everything about it, the essence of the record, it, it created a genre. It, it, it did so many different things. It's almost like you don't want to follow up. Very few people have that second record. You know, you have that first fucking bomb, and then you have a couple of records that, you know, they do okay, but you don't really get that. So I didn't expect it to be anything, but I, in my heart, I still love In the Springtime of the Voodoo. But it's been reinvented several times. Life. And I feel like it's one of a handful of songs that Tori herself seems to forget exists. Yeah. And then she reconnects with it in a really, in a, in a real way. Yeah. And it's very, pre- yeah. So we'll get into that. I agree. For years, she'll forget that it even, mm-hmm. that she even has that song. And then, oh my God, Voodoo. Yeah. And then it's like so at every like show. A, Honey, I don't have a song called Voodoo. <laughs> no, I play music. <laughs> I, I'm not on 90210. I play music. I'm not a Voodoo I, practitioner. I make records. I'll get you one. I don't know what you mean. David is referencing her punked when Tori Amos got punked by that little boy who called her Tori Spelling. Where? How's Brenda? How's How's Dylan? Oh, honey. But she kept her composure. She was sweet. Mm-hmm. She showed her true self. Yeah. Yeah. I make records. I'll get you one. Wink. <laughs> That's what um, every 11-year-old's wanted. A long box copy of Little Earthquakes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would have loved that. <laughs> um, should we go in the quotes? Yeah. You want to do the first one from Atlantic yeah, Promo? This is from her promo bio in january 1996 the atlantic released when boys for pele was about to come out contrary to popular belief specifically yours eve these songs are not about makeups or breakups <laughs> and they're not concerned about who is sleeping with whom i say that because eve is always trying to like establish a timeline and it's like it's like an episode of svu in here he has like a big board with red thread out it's like I when did it. courtney love arrive right. and where's the forensic evidence on trent reznor who's sleeping like, with codelites oh my god Anyway, they're about the realization that you and the person you're with are speaking different languages. They're about recognizing that an extreme kind of viciousness is being played out even as you exchange a honeysuckle. They're about the things that go on in a woman's heart, the things that are expressed and the things that have to remain hidden. They're about the breaking down of the patriarchy within relationships and the idea of women claiming their own power. Let's talk about that. These songs are not about makeups or breakups. It's interesting because that's what the album is about or what was the catalyst for the album, right? Is this breakup? And she's talked about, she talked, she's said it in the press. It forced her to have to find her own fire and to look at herself and to find the pieces of herself and the fragments. But these songs are not about makeups and breakups. They're about the things that go on in a woman's heart, the things that are expressed and the things that have to remain hidden. That's really great. And that is an accurate, I think, description of boys for pele Mm -hmm. do you agree i do i think that's kind of a perfect um encapsulation of what this album is about and as like fun and kind of gossipy as it is to make connections between you know certain events in her life or, or or people that's really what we're talking about here so i also find it really interesting when she says they're about the breaking down of the patriarchy within relationships and the idea of women claiming their own power so i wonder if that's the first time I've heard it said so succinctly mm-hmm. that there's a patriarchy within a relationship. Yep. And that maybe her stealing fire from the man in her life or the men in her life was simply how it always is for women. And I've never heard it related like universally like mm-hmm. that. I agree. I think that's really interesting. And even more interesting when you bring it back to Tori herself saying that she was 
stealing fire. And regardless of what her personal experience with feeling like that's what she was doing, I'm interested in this idea of a patriarchy in a relationship. And to me, that means as a woman, in this case, you're told that you are less than or that you don't have access to something or that you have a specific role to play. And that's what she's trying to trying to break down. So. I, I mean, I love that. I love that here we're making that connection at the end that it's not just about the personal, but it's also about the universal. Mm-hmm. This is from B-Side Magazine, May, June, 1996. Oh my God, we're so uh, close to the end of B-Side Magazine. I know, you're going to be so crushed. I can't take it. Can we find a way to keep bringing it back in? Yeah. I think we can. Yes, we can. <laughs> the quote is, which leads us into voodoo. The key for me here is he was going to show me spring, going to. And so much of my life has been about going to instead of what is happening now. It's what are we going to, not what are we really giving to each other now? What am I promising him? The whole idea of looking to this, the idea that somebody else carries the voodoo instead of becoming part of the voodoo and accessing it yourself that runs through the whole thing. So I think that's super clear. He was going to show me spring. I was going to find spring through him. He was going to be in charge of getting me spring. And I think that she finds spring on her own in this song or through the course of the album anyway. I think that's the journey is to find her own spring. Yeah, and what does is, what is spring symbolize? Life, fertility, yeah. Re- rebirth. promise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love this idea of there are like various threads and I'll even say root systems, I guess, of religious systems and faith happening here. And here we have voodoo, kind of like you have the voodoo within yourself. And I guess me saying it in those words sounds kind of cheesy, but it all, all, it all goes back to the sort of primordial power outside of the patriarchy or outside of this religion or outside of this belief system. Like there's like there's something that we all have access to and I have this myself and I don't need to get this from anyone else. And I think this is really a powerful point on the album when she's not only realizing that, but embracing it. So I love the idea that that's happening in the South and through the idea of voodoo, which is this kind of amalgamation of Christian belief, but also literal magic Mm -hmm. and kind of ritual. I don't know. I think that's really beautiful. And that triggers a lot for me personally that I think is kind of neat. So I like the going to, he was going to, where are we going to? What is he going to do for me or living in that going to? And we'll get into this, I'm sure in the line by line, how it kind of turns for me in the end, going to being a sad sort of letting go of it. You know, he was going to, and it's like it never happened. Mm-hmm. You know, he never showed me spring. There's that kind of release that, she, you know, she's left to find it on her own. Yeah, a release, but also it's like, oh, I didn't, I actually didn't need him to. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You want to read another quote? This I one? do, and I do think it. that dovetails beautifully with the Vanity Fair article from November 2016, um, coinciding with the 20th anniversary release of the album, right? Mm-hmm. Where Tori says, she's turning the tables on guys at construction sites and catcalling. I think that she's really into autumn now. She saw spring, and now she's happy to see what autumn can show her. Okay. Well, she's already been through summer. So. <laughs> I love that. I mean, this whole article, we've talked about this. Each song is a kind of like, where are they now snapshot. Mm-hmm. And some of them are kind of cheeky. And Tori's like, I don't know. Donut songs gained some weight. And she has to hike a lot. And that's fine. But I really like this one. 
um, that she's sort of in a different phase of her life yeah. and she saw spring and now what does Autumn have to tell us? I love that this like gray haired voodoo is sitting on a wall in front of, on her front lawn, like cinder block fence, looking at the construction workers across the street. Is she Pearl from 227? Is Hi. that what's happening? Cat calling them. Mary. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Yeah. yeah. Cape. Walking. Walking. Keep walking, boy. Ow. <laughs> like that's what I imagined. That's your wang strength. <laughs> Okay, so this is a little bit from Wikipedia. And first of all, I want to say thank you to Shay Stymack, who put our lovely research document together. Shay, you're fantastic. We can't do it without our research team. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is from Wikipedia. And it honestly, like, it's funny because this may be the first time we've included anything from Wikipedia in the show. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's never occurred to me to look up Tori Amos on Wikipedia. (laughs) That's weird. But anyway, the single for In the Springtime of His Voodoo was released in September 1996 as the fifth single from Boys for Pele album in the U.S., containing remixes by house music producers Steve Donato and Vinnie Vero. We already talked about that. Another interesting note, this song was removed from the 1997 reissued version of Boys for Pele in the U.K. and Australia due to time constraints after adding the Armand Star Trunk Funkin' mix of Professional Widow. Don't get me started. I know. What a bizarre choice. What a bizarre around, choice. Right? To, cut, to cut a song completely from an album, but also... To make room for a remix that has no place on the yeah, album. Yeah, and also to choose a song that in itself was released as a single. Like, yeah. we're just gonna... Oh, sure. Yeah, whatever. Cut this it again. This one's five minutes, so... I get putting the Professional Widow remix on the album from a financial point of view, because that's what people wanted to hear, and they could get them to pay $18 for the album if it was on there, right? I get it. But it had no business being on the album in terms of like the world of the album, the sound of the album. (laughs) It's still... It's so stupid. It's not really what we're talking about, but it's still so jarring on the Boys for Pele remaster, on Tales of a Librarian, or even alongside the thousands of other songs in my music library Mm -hmm. when I put stuff on shuffle and that comes on I always like jump in my cart like whatever happened like what's happening Armand Armand. stop Star Trunk Funkin I'm not ready for it it just doesn't make any sense (laughs) stop Star Trunk Funkin me but yeah to cut voodoo from offensive um, this is from the Pele Deluxe Edition liner notes when she's talking about voodoo she says this is me realizing how I would hear men talk to women when I was growing up catcalling can I watch you walk is that really all it says? Can in the I liner notes? Wow, can I walk? Trying walk and you walk Cape walk in. So when I posted that thing on the dent, like, what is that intro? What does everybody think of the intro? And nobody would answer and me. No one responded because they were all like, "Stupid! It's catcalling. She's sitting there catcalling because she's obviously keep walking, boy." But in my mind, I was thinking she was saying, "Like, get away, keep move on." But now I'm thinking she's thinking. Like, let me see that booty. Right. Keep keep walking. Because the quote is, this is me realizing how I would hear men talk to women when I was growing up. Cat calling, can I watch you walk? But she says, keep walking, boy. So I'm thinking that's what's happening. Sure. We know, I guess, Tori likes a nice set of calves. So to see a man walking away from her and she's like, okay, She. I mean, I wonder if Mark walks nice. He walks fine. I've seen him I've seen it, yeah. Um, Why don't you read this? Amazing quote from Hot Press from February 1996. Hoot Press. The thing I wanted from this album was freedom. I wanted to do things musically that I hadn't done before. It seemed like I was always restricted. When I walked into the jazz world, there would be boundaries, or the classical world, and even in rock. Although the boundaries are fewer because the musicians don't have the same knowledge as jazz or classical musicians, they would push things in a different way, sonically or whatever. Whenever I would go into a certain area in order to soak things up or to expand, I would, but only in that arena. 
So as a musician, I felt that there were all these checkpoint Charlies that are in the different styles of music. And there's something in me, because I had such a restrictive Christian upbringing, I can smell when the wings are being clipped. And I don't curl up at a ball and die anymore. I used to do that for a long time, then I would explode. That's how I dealt with confinement. But now how I deal with it is by finding ways to break out of something confining, and that applies musically too. Further in the article, she goes on to say, as regards the sound, Amos says she deliberately wanted a feeling of space. Mm. On some tracks like Tallulah and in the springtime of his voodoo, there is actually a lot going on, but it's not like a smorgasbord where you make a glutton of yourself. It's more like spice, a taste of something. Or if you think of architecture, I wanted nothing to take up space. I didn't want you to feel you were walking into a room and feeling suffocated with sound. The ambience of the church was like another instrument. We used mostly the ambience. Very little electronic reverb. I, I love yeah. that. You can hear that too in the song, just yeah. the like natural echo, which I love. You hear that in the song. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that? I think, once again, maybe we should always go to the source. Tori mm-hmm. has perfectly sort of yeah. um, responded to exactly. or Maybe she should do this show. I know. What? Yeah. That's ridiculous. We should have her be doing this. Well, no. Uh, you know, we've said it before, but like the clavichord, let's say on Little Amsterdam, for example, yes. it's so it's just there Subtle. for a second. Yes. And it's gone. It's spice. It's texture. Yeah, texture. That's genius. Like, I know that there are bagpipes on this album Big, and on the yes. song, but if I had to point them out, it'd be like, I don't. It's not like Highland Trilogy from and as, the yeah. end of YKTR. Right. Like, they're, they're not that there's anything wrong with that. But the fact that she cared enough to build this world and, like, you know what I need here is just like a touch of bagpipe. And you might not even know. That that's what it is. I don't know. I love that. I love that too. <laughs> that's and incredible. Like everything. Like if you go back to, I mean, we're at the end of this record basically, and all the things that we have learned, like what we've learned from George Porter, like having to go back and re-record the bass parts, having to, you know, just touches. Everything is so masterfully put together, mm-hmm. thoughtfully considered. <sighs> that this album is just unlike any other record ever, and in her catalog or anyone's it's i agree and when tori talks about sort of this is not a word that she has used but when like a song is downloaded to her Mm. let's say in terms of like what the composition of it is but then the production of it she says she's trying to like translate it and it might sort of take a twist and turn here and there but i feel like this album everything came through to her like in its most completed perfect form Mm -hmm. and everything she was doing was just trying to make sure that that was delivered to us the way she was hearing it in a way that i'm not sure she's ever been as successful at doing which isn't a criticism but i feel like again this is just everything about this time period was magical and I don't know, something was happening here. Like she was firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And I, I'll say something I've been meaning to say for a while too. Um, I, I don't think we give enough credit to Mark Holly and Marcel too in working with these new partners in recording for the first time. They're bringing new ideas to the table. When has she ever been in a box to record an album before or mm-hmm. since? You know, like they're bringing new ideas to the table. They're bringing new thoughts on how they would accomplish certain challenges. And I think they're like bouncing back and forth in the collaborative process. And these things are born because she had major respect for them, obviously. They had major respect for her, same. It's crazy because to the layman, let's say, you and I, there couldn't be anything on on a surface level more, I don't know, more simple than recording a woman playing the piano. Yeah. Like this has happened like, oh, this will be hundreds easy. of thousands yeah. of times. But it's like, oh, let's do it in a church mm-hmm. and let's build this box around her to separate the, the vocals the from the instrument. Yeah. From, and yeah, no one had 
done it's yeah. really crazy it's, yeah. that they were like you know there was that there was innovation happening with these acoustic instruments that have been around for hundreds right slat you know or longer years that yeah. i don't know and if you look at our instagram at songs of tori amos we posted a picture recently that someone uncovered um i can't remember who but where are these pictures coming from i know like this picture of her in full size in the box yeah. so you get to see the actual box and in she its looks glory so teeny. she looks so tiny in that <laughs> box so go to our instagram at songs of tori amos and check that picture out from a few weeks ago um her in this box in the church it's just like when you think of something that has moved you so much boys for pele being for me the pinnacle of music the album that has touched me the most to see anything surface 22 years later that just brings perspective or just like a moment of that time period is really like moving like seeing that picture for the first time it was like kind of breathtaking i'm still going to that church like i know yeah. many many people, people have done it have made a pilgrimage of sorts to that church but i still fully intend to do that that's like yeah. i don't know it sounds dumb but that's I, a bucket list item no same and i want to yeah. get in there and i want to eat on in the church <laughs> can i, I do wanna... it with you no yeah. watch you i don't mean do it with you but like watch you do can it you record because, it yes can you see if, like, the same <laughs> reverb on my voice <laughs> Thank you. Let's talk about the harpsichord. Um, and this is the last song on the album where there's any harpsichord. And it's it's only touches on, the, you know, it's only here and there on this. It's not a harpsichord driven track like Professional Widow, mm-hmm. Tallulah, or even uh, Sneeze was. But because this is the last song with the harpsichord on, let's talk a little bit about the harpsichord, shall we? You want to read the quote? From Noisy? From Noisy, November 18th, 2016. Things opened up because I had been traveling, she says. We went through Belgium, and I'd heard about the harpsichord convention that happens in Bruges. And I met this person who was obsessed with harpsichords and spoke to me in depth about them. So I studied them. Each record has its own ingredients that you start pulling together. And the harpsichord just happened to be the centerpiece for me. And then everything started to fall in line. That's great. That's something we've never heard before. I mean, when that came, that quote came out, it's like, oh, okay. Because I knew she played a little bit when she was a kid. And there's this quote from French radio where she talks about having played as a kid. It's actually from uh, Australian radio. Here it is. This is from Triple J on February 23rd, 1996. The interviewer says... Well, musically, it's a fantastic album and just so interesting. The first thing that struck me about it was the use of the harpsichord, which is sort of, I don't know, a medieval-sounding instrument almost. Uh, You know, is it a favorite of yours? And Tori says, I played it when I was kind of younger, when I was studying classical music, and I played some old Scarlatti program on it, but I didn't respect the instrument because it didn't have sustain. You know, it's kind of like um, red lipstick when you're 13. You know, you don't appreciate beige lipstick yet. So I just had to get to a point where um, I could honor the instrument for what it is. And it's taken me a long time till I was ready to do that. And then the interviewer says, well, it's very, you know, brave of you, I think, to mix it with the instruments that you have. You know, uh, in one track, Professional Widow, it's almost sort of a grunge punk track. And there's the harpsichord. It's a great marriage. And Tori says, well, she kind of looked at me, the harpsichord, and just kind of winked from the corner. And she said baby, give me some ass. And I said, oh, it's about time. Let's go. And then Angela, the interviewer, laughs and says, I think it must be the first time. And Tori said, the harpsichord felt, if you will, very New Orleans to me, which was in New Orleans, the food is like nowhere else in the world because it's a mix of that French, classic French and that West Indian Cajun feeling. And I really felt that the harpsichord was ready to kind of take her place with, you know, with some heat. So that was from Triple J, uh, February 23rd, 1996. We tried to license it, but the sweet lady at Clips Licensing 
said it was going to be about $3,000 to get the entirety. So I just decided to inhabit 96 Tory. I hope it was okay. Worth it. <laughs> this is from Keyboard Review in April 1996, again about the harpsichord. She says, the harpsichord, it's something I played when I was little, but I just didn't understand anything that didn't have sustain. It's like a man without calves, isn't it? Sustain oh my is, God, the calves. I there know. we go. Sustain is really a part of my sound. I use it a lot as a percussive instrument as well as for the overhangs and just how I pedal. Think of tear in your hand, you know, the sustain there when she hits the pedal and caught you know, that part. From when she hiccups dramatically <laughs> and slumps over the piano. Yeah. And, no, but I, I love hearing Tori talk about technically how she plays. Yeah. And this is I, uh, maybe like, not relevant to this conversation. But one of my few bucket list conversations that I'd still like to have with Tori is kind of about that about how she plays how she f- technically slash physically plays the piano not just like her stance with her like leg thrown back or mm-hmm. whatever but one of the things that i first responded to as someone who in my own way as a kid whatever played the piano appreciated the piano was that she had a very very specific style that made it new to me and i still maintain that if she with even yanta maybe that's the rare exception but still if she and yanta were to record a piece of music and I were just to hear it, I still feel like I could pick out which one was mm-hmm. Tori. Mm-hmm. And she has a very fluid way of playing with like a lot of grace notes. But I'm just wondering if that all came naturally to her or if at any point she made a concerted effort to sort of develop a style because it's very distinctive. And I think, again, t- like kind of tying back to how this album was recorded, it's like really this woman in the 20th century manages to reinvent how this instrument is being mm-hmm. used. That's crazy. And the fact that she doesn't get that much credit for that, I, I think, know, is a crime. But I would love to actually ask her that. Like, is this just how you play? Or I don't know. That's all. <laughs> no, I mean, that's great. From On the Street on January 29th, 1996, and we're still talking about the harpsichord, she says, it's completely changed me as a player. She says, actually, oh, God, it's completely changed me as a player. My approach to the piano now is totally different because of what the harpsichord has brought and taught me. Harpsichord represents a time that holds secrets. What do you think? I think that goes right to what you're saying, which is like she's reinvented the way she says, oh God, it's completely changed me as a player. Like she's Mm. brought this style that she develops presumably over the course of her entire life. She's developed Mm. a style that's unique to her. I agree. There's no one that plays like her. So to develop the style over 20 years and take that then to an instrument that she has notable difficulty playing because it doesn't have sustain so to bring her style now that she's developed a style because when she started the harpsichord younger she didn't have a style so to bring it back and kind of impose her style while still accepting what the harpsichord could do i think is what developed this like Mm. threat this entirely new way of playing the harpsichord Mm -hmm. that you're right she doesn't get credit for and it sucks yeah that's why she should do a boys for pele tour (laughs) with harpsichord well you think i wouldn't be there but (laughs) yeah and in terms of the harpsichord specifically and my understanding is that it requires a degree of precision not only because of the lack of sustain but i think the keys are physically smaller Mm -hmm. if not closer together lighter shorter and they're lighter yeah so it's not like oh this looks like a keyboard because i can play the piano i can obviously sit down and you know port that skill set over it's almost like a completely different instrument Mm -hmm. so and she did talk about in spin magazine having to relearn how to play so why don't you read this from hartford courant on may 17th 1996 it's really different to play actually you have to approach it differently you can't really cheat on the harpsichord 
On the piano, you can be an okay player and get by. On a harpsichord, you can't get by. There's no sustain, so you can't hold the notes. You need more power to play the piano, but the harpsichord is about precision. So you make smaller movements. In the springtime of his voodoo, which begins on piano and ships to harpsichord on the album, things are shifting a lot live too, and that's exciting for me. That's a weird yeah, song they, for her to pluck out, right? So to that. speak, yeah. Because there was no harpsichord live on Ooh, Voodoo. Well, well, yeah. I mean, we'll get. <laughs> let's talk about that at the live yeah. section. But even on the album, it's yeah. in the chorus. Yeah, and it's so it's so subtle. Mm-hmm. Like the other harpsichord tracks on this album, there's no question that that's like the centerpiece. But here, it's more texture. It's the fact that at you least would the way pull it was mixed, out. it could have been played completely on the harpsichord, and the way it was mixed down. Who knows? Yeah. So in her mind. Playing it, recording it could have been much more on the harpsichord. Mm-hmm. And then and they took different edits or they took different takes. Yeah. And again, we'll get to it in the live section. But her associating this song, especially live with the harpsichord, kind of continued at mm-hmm. least into the next two years mm-hmm. or so mm-hmm. um, in a way that we don't really understand, but made sense to her. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Should we get into the line by line? Yes. Standing on a corner in Winslow This lyric references the Eagle song, Take It Easy, released on May 1st, 1972. And the original, let's play a little bit of that original song. Well, I'm standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, and such a fine sight to see. It's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed board, slowing down to take a look at me. She's borrowing. She gave it back. Yeah, she gave it back. Because <laughs> she says, and I'm quite sure I'm in the wrong song. She says it right there. That's cute. <laughs> That's a cute way to start. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think she starts the song that way? It's interesting because I think Arizona is kind of a power center for Tori. Mm-hmm. That definitely proves true when she's on tour. I mm-hmm. think those shows are always very special. Mm-hmm. So um, the reference to Arizona here is very pointed. And I think there has to be something here about st- this is her way of stealing fire. Literally taking something from someone else's song mm. before she kind of claims her own. Okay, maybe. so like it's a blatant example. And the of... Eagles is such like a, a manny band, right? If you will, yeah. right? So man band, a band. <laughs> yeah. No, so this is an example of literally stealing fire from a man. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if because you know she always says like this song came to me when I was on tour and I was in this city. So maybe there's, you know, part of Voodoo was born when she was literally in Arizona. Mm. Could be. Yeah. It's an interesting reference for a song that out of any on this album is so obviously rooted in the South and Louisiana and Voodoo for her to reference Arizona and mm. the desert. It's kind of like, mm, okay. Yeah. But <laughs> see, I, I never considered this being like a literal moment of her stealing fire what I've always plugged into with this line and what I really like about this line is we know that Tori goes on in her career to produce Strange Little Girls, which takes the songs of men and kind of flips them from the female perspective. And I think we see a little bit of that here. And I like what you said that the Eagles is a really manny band because they are. And in the Eagles version, you know, this guy, he's walking down the street, he sees a hot chick in a flatbed Ford staring at him and you know is presumably feeling really good about it but if you flip it in the female version in tori's version you got these girls in a truck presumably a flatbed ford uh looking at this guy and they're gonna jump out of the car tie him up you know and recover 
Christians, and that's what I I like that there's a, a different perspective, like a female perspective on the song that's unexpected, or that she kind of inhabits the characters that exist in the Eagle song and kind of flips them. Two girls, so are these two 65-year-old girls, two 65-year-old women that are girls, have girlish spirits, or what is that, 65? They're in the car. That's a oh, 65. It's a, so it's two girls in a 65. 60, right. Flatbed Ford. That's your thought? I mean, never more so me. than the 65-year-old women, maybe. I always just thought it was maybe. like, whatever. Okay. <laughs> so they got a man tied up in the backseat, like literally? A piece, yeah. A piece mm-hmm, or like a gun? Mm-hmm. A man. Mm-hmm. A man, a piece tied up. Why would you need to tie up a gun? Yeah, and I'm kind of thinking of the the cornflake girl video here yeah. too, when there's like these girls on the run in the back of a pickup truck, and they've got this guy, the man in the mm-hmm. boiling pot, yeah. and the lipstick gun. Right. Okay, let's talk about the two different interpretations of that line. Yeah, we're recovering, like we're we're, we're retrieving them. Yeah, we're retrieving and, Christians. Yeah, we're I saving never thought about them. that. No, yeah. yeah, recovering like from a disease or an illness. Right. Like I'm in recovery. Them. Sure. Or that, or we are in recovery. We are mm. recovering Christians. Yes, I think that's pretty much cemented with the tour. The tour short that was sold. Recovering Christian. With like Tori as a, a kind of a caricature of a nurse. Right. With recovering Christian on it, which. (laughs) Well, but no, that even like lends itself to both interpretations. We're recovering Christians. We're gathering up. We're saving them. She's a nurse. She's saving Christians. I guess. But it says recovering Christian. Like I am a recovering Christian. Singular. Yeah. I I guess it's open to interpretation, but I still feel like that's. Interpret my shirt. Recuperating. We're in recovery from a disease of sorts. Well, yeah, that's how I take it. That shirt's open Mm -hmm. to interpretation. You know what shirt's not open to interpretation? I don't mind a dirty girl with the cum stains all over it. We were just looking at it. Yeah. My dear friend Saker caught wind of me trying to start a t-shirt collection, and she gave me all her duplicates. Mm. One of them was the I don't mind a dirty girl t-shirt. Yeah. Love it. You know, Tori sold the recovering Christian shirt on the Do Drop In tour. If you ever want to say that Tori was courting controversy... I think that's a prime example. The same with, and I did buy the shirt with the the piglet photo on the back. I don't think this. I don't think the line was written to court the controversy, but the shirt probably was made because people. I agree. People responded to it mm-hmm. probably a lot. Yeah. Are the two girls the recovering Christians? And they're, that's what we're talking about. We here? are. So yeah, I honey, think that we're that's inclusive, and it's yeah. in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Honey, we're recovering mm-hmm. Christian. Yeah. Okay. Christians, if she ever knew how to draw out a word and add more syllables uh-huh. than it was originally intended to have, yeah. God, it's incredible. That's a skill. Christians. <laughs> This is a quote from Edison Amos from the Raleigh News and Observer on August eleventh, nineteen ninety six. Well, Tori Tori Ellen's opinions on religion don't necessarily jibe with mine, he allows. Speaking on the phone from his home in Florida. It's a little JFK here happening, too. Ask not what Tori Ellen can do for y'all. Okay. Tori's opinions on religion don't necessarily jibe with mine, he allows. Speaking on the phone from his home in Florida. I would hope some wouldn't. We're each on our own faith journey, and I'm 34 years older than Tori. We Mm. both have our own belief system. 
One thing we have really encouraged is we can love each other without having to agree on a closed-type thought system, philosophy, science, or religion. I think she's trying to get people to think about who they are, especially institutions and their treatment of women. She feels that the male hierarchy has always been in power and is trying to balance the record so that women will have equal opportunities in all phases of life. She also thinks that religious systems have been pro-male, which is a historical fact. We're very proud of her, Edison concludes. I never get tired of listening to her, nor does her mother. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's really great. That's something we never considered. Like, what it'd be like to have Tori as a daughter. I can't imagine, like, how proud they must be. Yeah, and it seems, like, from our my perspective, I'll say our perspective, they got there pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, when Tor- like Little Earthquakes era Tori under the pink and even here, she's still relatively young. Mm-hmm. I feel like to get to this point with my parents now... Yeah. <laughs> Would be a my major. dad is not a minister. He wanted to be. To feel like I had to get my parents to this point took a lot more effort on right. my part right. or more time than Tori's anyway. And I love that her parents genuinely respect her on yeah. every level, not only her musicianship, but her personal Jerk faith journey. Yeah. And they're not fighting. Like there's no, aggra- I don't know. I think it's pretty amazing. That's a testament to that, just who they are as people, that they're yeah. so open to other thoughts. Like as a, you don't usually find that as a minister, someone who's willing to. Yeah. Be that open. And this is going to sound super cheesy, but I think it's true. I think in the same way that Tori opened me up to different systems of belief or th- ways of thinking about things, I think she provided the same yeah. service to her own parents. Right, right. And um, I've seen my parents take a similar journey. They're like, oh, well, we actually didn't know that that was an option or that there were other ways of thinking about yeah. things. So I don't know. What does that mean? In the beginning of his courtship, in the beginning of our courtship, literally, mm. in the springtime, in the beginning of his yeah. voodoo, of his charming me. And, you know, springtime, it's the most fertile time of something. It's about kind of when it's all happening. And the, the I don't know, the, the later part of the year, I'll say it's when things are sort of shutting down mm-hmm. and closing in. But spring is full of promise. So it's like when all things are possible. I guess. Mm. So when all things are possible, he was going to show me the world. How do you think this lyric reads on paper? In the springtime of his voodoo, he was going to show me spring. Like the redundancy of the word spring Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily pleasing Mm -hmm. to me, but Mm -hmm. the way it's sung, Mm -hmm. I don't question it and it's totally fine. But just looking at it as like a piece of prose here, it's kind of like meh. Spraying, yeah. spraying, clobbering you over the head. But again, that's, I think that's true of music in general. What like, would be the It's option? not necessarily meant to be poetry. In the springtime of his voodoo, he was going to show me things. I don't know. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. I don't have like a, an alternative. Like, well, what you should have done All here. Right. But just reading it, it does seem like a little clumsy or something. Clumsy, yeah. yeah. But you're right. In the way she sings it, it's... Yeah, it's totally fine. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I love when you do that. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> like, I'm fine with it. <laughs> I get it. It's good. <laughs> this Spring, is, I like it. I li- is it on Pele? I love it. <laughs> this is from Music Week on 16th December 1995 from Early Press. And she says, he was going to show me spring. Going to are the operative words. You never could. Never could. Never did. Full of shit. Full of spring. Full of spring. <laughs> so going to. Mm. It's funny because the quote reads to me and hearing her say it, broken promise in a way, but it doesn't feel that way in the song. It doesn't feel like she was she's angry about it. No, 
It's just like something that didn't ever coalesce or something that did, never came to fruition. I agree. And I think in conversations we've had in the past where we've almost achieved like a laser focus where we're like, oh, in this moment, we can actually see that this might be like a quote from an actual conversation that happened, or mm-hmm. this is about someone very specific. Mm-hmm. In in this moment, in this lyric, I feel like we're almost like Google Earthing back, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely not about someone specific. Like the he, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. who it is. Whatever the situation was, whoever the person was, was going to show me. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the top of the show. Like, why am I always looking to the next thing or this sort of ultimate moment when I achieve or experience whatever like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter I'm right there for a minute I knew you so well I'm right there for a minute I knew you so well. I think this is one of those moments that is so like the melody of it is so like beautiful. It doesn't do it justice, but that's the only word that springs to mind. And it's so fleeting right there. Like, I don't know, it's just a few seconds, but that, that moment of the song I think is so beautiful and it comes back around again. But mm-hmm. I agree. I think that this is one of those, it's not a bridge necessarily. It's the chorus, right? Well, no, the chorus would be in the springtime of his voodoo. He was mm-hmm. going to show me spring. This is the chorus too. Mm-hmm. Or the post-chorus, or maybe in the spring like chorus B, or I yeah. don't know what you would call it, but but it is. It's like a whole different. Mm-hmm. It's kind of. It reminds me a little bit of Tallulah. How like in the bridge, it's a whole different sonic space. In Amsterdam, even in the bridge, it's like a different space. Mm-hmm. It's just a different sonic environment that it it kind of lifts it up in a way. Mm-hmm. It makes it a little hopeful. On paper, it right there for a minute. I knew you so well, and right there for a minute, I knew you so well. For a minute, I knew you mm-hmm. well, implies that I didn't know you well at all, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But it doesn't feel like heartbroken. It feels like content in that minute to me. I agree. And now it's it's crazy that like literally 20 years later, we got, and I'm jumping ahead, so sorry, but we got the rookery ending that's built around this lyric in this mm-hmm. moment. It meant something to her, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it almost encapsulates the whole album. There's something about that idea or this moment. And it's so wistful. And mm-hmm. I don't know. but yeah i agree it's like right there for a minute we had something but it wasn't about you really (laughs) and not in a dismissive way like there's nothing interesting about you or you didn't give me anything but this was like about the journey that i was on and what you gave me not criticizing you or tearing you down but you know how they say like you meet people in your life and you learn your lessons and then you move on Mm -hmm. like right there for a minute I had the privilege of knowing you yeah. so well. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. In this in this case, it's not like there's no way in. Yeah. In Cotolite Sneeze, yeah. it's like we had what we were supposed to have and then we both moved on, but there's no anger. Yeah. Like you weren't giving me anything or whatever. You know what I mean? It's it's really beautiful <laughs> that I way. Think it I, think. Is. I mean, I, it never occurred to me how beautiful it was until mm-hmm. we're talking about it. But yeah. And how also, you know, Back even one song ago, Donut Song, What based on what your interpretation is, it feel it can feel angry, you know? This feels very... Complete? Complete and content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Got an angry snitch cause you know what I mean. She's obviously talking about her Virginia, right? I don't know. I think there's a lot of room for interpretation here as far as Tory lyrics go. If you're re- interpreting that they're recovering Christians like people and they got a piece tied up in the back seat, maybe they snatched him angrily. Right, they right. Got an, <laughs> they got an angry snatch. Sure. No? It's probably about her Virginia. I'm swimming it 
doesn't do the trick. <laughs> what does that mean when you're trying to get when you're trying to to do someone and it doesn't work? Are you glossing over angry snatch because you know what that means? Yeah, I think well, no, I think that is the reason this snatch is angry. Well, this is one moment where I actually want to go back to the first time you heard this song. Okay. As you know, five-year-old Eve. Yeah. <laughs> I can choke that down without laughing. Yeah. The first time you heard the song, what did you think of her saying the word snatch? I loved and... it. I loved everything about this song. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I thought, like, uh, Recovering Christians, I thought it was, like, damn, oh, she's on the pulse. I felt like she was really pushing the envelope. And here, too, got an angry snatch. She doesn't, she's not, she's saying what's on her mind. Mm. Like, no holds barred. Women weren't doing that at the time. Yeah. I mean, Meredith, yeah, no, Meredith Brooks had not yet come out with bitch. Yeah. And thanks to Tori, yeah. Meredith Brooks was able to be a bitch. Yeah. Kind of the same with the recovering Christians. Looking at it now, it seems, I don't want to, like, trite is not the right word, but almost like trying hard, courting controversy, like, oh my God, she said snatch. But at the time, it, women yeah. weren't. Yeah, it didn't say like things that like that. Yeah. We had Sarah McLaughlin at the time, and that's not yeah. a slam. But the other women who were prevalent in the music industry were not writing songs like this. Yeah. And to refer to their relationship with religion or parts of their bodies, it was like, oh, my God. Are you there, God? It's me, Tori. Yeah. Like, it was For young gay boys at the for time. Real. And now we're kind of like, oh, Snatch, whatever. But, but it, it was really a big deal. No, it Snatch was, um, okay, like the word Snatch itself, mm -hmm. Snatch is very from the time snatch cooter do you remember the word cooter we don't <laughs> use, I forget yeah we don't use that word anymore right but in, oh, I do. The, in, the, in the 90s wasn't cooter the one of the characters from captain eo i don't cooter know the map <laughs> no but the word snatch itself cooter snatch those are all 90s words and, and yes that do they word, seem derogatory to you no they were like empowering like cooter even they, then they were yeah because you couldn't just go around saying pussy you couldn't just go around you know what you couldn't just i don't think you could do that it was that was looked at as a vulgar word you couldn't get away with saying mm. pussy on a record but you could say i got an angry snatch it was a way of like talking about it it's like what chelsea handler did with her kaslapis when she named it the kaslapis or whatever she calls it it's hard to say because I'm trying to throw myself back to that time, but I don't necessarily see a distinction between pussy and snatch. I feel like well, if you're between go pussy on... and snatch, but I feel like snatch was more of a not like a regional choice. It was a it was like an of the time. Mm -hmm. It's what people were calling they were calling it a snatch. Okay, and you could get away with on, with calling it a snatch on TV and not get bleeped. They didn't bleep her on unplugged when she said snatch. But if she had said got an angry pussy. They're going to bleep her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, it's a way of demystifying the physical part. We can talk about this. Like, I, I don't know. Cooter? Cooter? Like when all my friends used to say cooter. It's cute. Cooter. I think cooch and cooter Cooch. Are oh my God, cooch. Like got an angry cooch. Coochie. I forgot If you had to coochie. pick like a one syllable name for a vagina, like cooch got an angry. Coochie, <laughs> coochie and cooter are like... <laughs> Way more dated than Snatch to me. Snatch, you still call it your Snatch. I feel like Snatch has been, a, like, even though it's sort of, <laughs> this conversation, it's sort of, there was a Snatch revival in the 90s. If you look at, like, old-timey, like, um, 1920s gangstery flappery talk, like, Snatch was part of that. Are you sure? And yeah, I think so. Okay, well, I'll have I to Believe look me, there's up. nothing new under the sun. Well, no one true. has come up with a new slang term for vagina that I someone know. hasn't thought of before. But... 
Got an angry snatch. <laughs> the sentiment is when swiveling that hip doesn't do the trick. Like when I'm trying to. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's kind of crude, but in the best way possible and regional. Yeah. Like this song is rooted in the South. Mm-hmm. If you were going to reference your vagina, especially in 1996, that's what you would say. So. And yeah, and she even says swivelin, mm-hmm. so that's kind of southern as well. Mm. But the snatch, can we agree that the snatch is angry because swivelin the hips haven't done the trick? So what? It, but, but we we got so caught up in like what a snatch is or what the what the word be- means. We didn't talk about how angry it is. So what does that mean to you? Dissatisfied? Angry, like on fire. <laughs> <laughs> like needs to get some well yes that's what i meant by like, dissatisfied yeah Thank you. okay we got you're there. so much sure. more pure puritan <laughs> than i this is from the chicago tribune on the 18th of january 1996 tori says in my relationships with men i always was musician enough but not woman enough i always met men in my life as a musician and there would be magic adoration but then it would wear off all of us want to be adored even for five minutes a day and nothing these men gave me was ever enough so she's mm-hmm. saying like uh, and it's funny because we all know the way she plays piano, right? And there's a lot of swiveling the hips on the piano. So her snatch may be angry when swiveling the hip, when the magic of playing the piano has worn off and still nothing that they've given her is enough because she still needs to be adored. So anyway, there's that's another interpretation, right? You know, she's also said that I'm only alive when I'm on stage or at this point. I feel the same way. <laughs> me too. I'm only alive when I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Um, she only felt like she was alive when she was on stage, kind of in that performative mode. And she, like, there's no one who would argue that Tori wasn't sort of using her sexuality mm-hmm. in the way she performed and played at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's like when all of that didn't further who further her needs or get her what she needs further her. Yeah. But like that didn't bring me any closer to who I know myself to be. And even though I'd been sort of, let's say there'd been like a segregation happening between me and my sexuality because either of my religious upbringing or a violent experience that I've had, even if me trying to connect with that in this way, isn't getting me any further. Like, what do I do now? That swilling that hip isn't doing the trick you know what i mean well that's another i mean speaking that makes me think too like swiveling that hip meaning sex again and again with you know Mm kind of like the the hinge that lets you in and lets you in and Mm -hmm. it's a different man and a different man so swiveling the hip isn't doing the trick it's not fulfilling what it's not getting me what i need Mm -hmm. it's not teaching me who i am like you said so my snatch is angry Mm -hmm. or like my i've got a i'm dissatisfied i'm not complete it's not you know Mm -hmm. So maybe it is too many men, too many meaningless encounters. Mm. Yeah. And again, not to keep going back to this well, but like her physical stance as a player, she's literally swiveling her hip and throwing Mm. her leg back. It's like, Mm. what if me as a performer, as a, as a musician, this still isn't like enough for you? Yeah. I think it's all valid. Yeah. Me, a Hikaru Katu Sulu is a fictional character in the Star Trek media franchise. Originally known simply as Sulu, he was portrayed by George Takai in the original Star Trek series. <laughs> Why is it here? Well, before I go there, I was going to say again, I think most of Tori's songs read well as poetry on the page. Mm-hmm. 
And this is an example of a song that really doesn't. Like, me pureed sanitarily, Mr. Sulu. Yeah, what the hell does that mean? I and I, I, and I, I, I don't want to go too far here because, I mean, this might be the one lyric in the album I'm comfortable not interpret- interpreting because I feel it's vulgar. I feel this is more vulgar than an angry snatch. Oh. And I don't, I don't quite know what it means here. Well, puree is mush. setting on a, on a blender. And she's pureed. She's mush. Or liquefied. Or liquefied. I'm not sure that's necessarily sexual. It just feels pretty sexual. I guess. By Mr. Sulu? No, I think she, I, I think the way she's broken it up in the lyric book is wrong. I think it's Mr. Mm. Sulu warp speed, warp speed. She's just saying, me pureed mm. sanitarily, and she needs to get out of here. Warp speed, beam me up, get me out of here, Mr. Sulu, warp speed. So I think it's broken up here, me pureed sanitarily, Mr. Sulu, but I think Mr. Sulu belongs to the next line. But that's just my thought. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think she's pureed yeah. by George Takai in any way. Well, no, no. I mean, who among us? Hasn't been. But <laughs> this may be a bridge too far. Okay, but again, the pieces are coming together. I'm thinking back to things she has said about Baker Baker, maybe, or also Eric specifically, men slash a man who have sort of helped her get back in touch with her sexuality and feeling safe and being able to enjoy sex. Mm-hmm. So maybe could that be like a an interpretation of being pureed sanitarily? Like I'm safe and it's not dirty and you can have like a healthy physical enjoyment of sex that's oh, not about degradation or being a victim. And like can it, like we can have like filthy, dirty sex in the best possible okay. way. Me pureed sanitarily is what she wants. Mr. Sulu, get me there. Warp speed. Warp speed now. Mm-hmm. Get me there. Because her snatch is angry. Because swiveling that hip isn't doing the trick. She wants to be wet, but cleanly. She wants to have her desires match her actions. She wants it all. She wants to be a complete and total sexual being. And Mr. Sulu, yeah. take me there. And it's not an escape. It's a destination. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. I love it. <laughs> it is a destination. And that's why she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then she's kind of like, that's probably, like, you know, you know what she's doing there. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, this song is overtly sexual and certainly in the way that she performs it live. So it's not like there's any thread of a violent encounter or anything negative about a mm-hmm. sexual experience here. I think this is like liberation. Yeah. If anything. So we should be seeing it through that lens, which we are. But y- you know what I feel is liberating? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I mean, that's liberating. Yeah. She got there, right there. Yeah. She got. We've there. gone from "Come on, come on, come on, come on." To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah, god, we should yeah, do a super cut of all like the sure. weirdest sounds of the of the album album at, in yeah. the wrap up episode. Okay. okay, look for that. To me, it's all the answers are in me. Everything that I've done here at the end of this album, and I've gone down every path and it all comes back to me i have to do something about this that's how i see it Mm. i agree and again this is another moment on the album that i think is transcendently beautiful with like the way that the lyrics are layered and the music but in terms of the actual lyrics i think you're right in the past i've sort of viewed it as her turning the tables on the man or whoever like no matter what you do you're gonna keep being led back to me but i like your interpretation way better i think this is all about the journey i'm having with myself and that i have all the answers so God, I I 
But that is one of these, one of the lyrics that, like, back in the day, I always heard it as guard all your crosses low down. Oh. And that's still, like, I know she's not saying that, but, the, like, her pronunciation is so crazy. That's still what I hear. I don't know what to make of that line. Got all your crosses loaded. Mm-hmm. Your weapon is your religion. Mm-hmm. Your crosses are loaded. You're armed and ready to sh- fire your religion at me. Mm. Fine. I get that, right? But every road, how it's paired with every road leads back to my door. Every road I will follow back to myself. Every road leads back to my door. Unless it is this war, again, we're talking, I'm going to bring up the war, and you're going to fight against it with your religion. I think got all your crosses loaded is another way of her saying, get off the cross, we need the wood. Like, Why don't you just say this, that? Like a <laughs> I know, like a normal person. Right. Um, and a hit single. Big wheel. Like all the religious guilt you've used on me. Like you've got your crosses loaded up, but guess what? It's not going to work. It's layered with the post-chorus or the chorus B. Right there for a minute, I knew you so well. I'm wondering if it's not a different person now that she's talking to right there. Like I presume the last time she said that it was to an ex-lover. This time I'm wondering if it's about God. You know, that's... Oh, I'm sure that's in there. Yeah. yeah. And I know she's not that foxy boy. I said, I know she's another boxy, but... This really seems like an epiphany on the album and live, like when she gets to this movement. Again, like the lyrics are relatively simple in a way that doesn't give that away. But the way she delivers it, I feel like it really means something to her. And we get Beanie coming in on the backing vocals. Mm. I don't know. Like there's something happening here. Like what? What do you think? I don't, that's what I'm asking you, I guess. Like so just she's looking the herself. lyrics on the page, I don't feel like there's anything like super profound or even poetic about them. But I feel like the way that they're sung on the album and particularly live, this is really like a transition point yeah, for I agree. Tori herself. I agree. But is she talking about herself? That she's not that foxy? Mm. Was she talking about someone else? I think she's talking about someone else. Someone else? Like this ideal, maybe it comes back to beauty queen or something, like uh-huh. this idealized version of the feminine or the woman mm-hmm. that you all are after, you think you're after, like there's nothing behind it. Okay. Substance over flash, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You gotta something sometimes. You gotta when you're young. I love the idea. You've had it all. Some guys have all the luck. You got to give back. Mm-hmm. You got to pay it forward. Like you've got to owe something sometimes. Like you've been privileged. You've had this life. You're the sweetest cherry in an apple pie. You don't even fit in that pie, but you're still what everybody likes the best about that pie. So you got to owe something. You got to give it back. You got to pity fuck me. That's what I think. <laughs> I need These prunes are her boobies? Maybe. Or like dried up, not dried up raisins. <laughs> Testicles, raisins, something unflattering. But yeah, I, like I need some literal magic on this dried up part of my sexuality. That's oh, interesting. Been, yeah, metaphor. Yeah, that's been castrated by 
either Christianity or this violent experience that I've had, like, please bring this back to life in me. I think that's really like the invocation that's happening here. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I love that she's, she's calling on to the men though, to do it. Isn't that, is that a little out of place now at this point in the song or no? Mm, Not if you're, you know, looking for a sexual partnership. Not out of need, but in, you know, coming together. Like, hey, throw some voodoo on these prunes. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) no, no, no. I want to take it to like, you're saying that some dried up part of her sexuality or some part that she thought she didn't have access to, Mm -hmm. these prunes. Mm -hmm. She's ready to sprinkle a little magic on them and and revitalize (laughs) them. And she's now looking to someone to partner up with. Mm -hmm. Because you got to owe something sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's not about... neediness but maybe need like you can masturbate till the end of time and that's great but it's not the same as having like a real partner so hey sometimes you love yourself best alone but i wonder not all the time i wonder if she's talking about herself though i know she's not that foxy boys i don't think so you don't think so you don't think she'd ever refer to herself as not foxy i think she would but i feel like again there's like a reclamation happening here and it's about like the idealized feminine that these men are looking outwards to that she felt like she could never be Mm -hmm. or embody Mm -hmm. i don't know so she's looking at a a woman who's not considered foxy just a regular i think she's looking at someone who is by traditional standards but again it's like like a cornflake girl thing happening Uh here or something like what this woman offering to you is so superficial like yeah she's pretty i guess but well, it's so great that like Beanie shows up here mm-hmm. to add yeah. a, a, an actual literal other. On the heels of that sentiment, yeah. Well, maybe. add an actual literal other woman's voice mm-hmm. so that it is two girls in their 65 mm-hmm. driving down like Thelma and Louise yeah. in a way, and right? and you're right. Maybe they're the two women and this is kind of a weird cornflake girl reclaiming like they've got she and Beanie have the cornflake girl tied up in the back of their car. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Or the raisin girl tied up these prunes. The raisin girl's not that foxy. I know she's not that foxy, but you got to owe something sometimes. Mm. We need some voodoo on these mm. raisins, but that would be too obvious. So let's change it to prunes. Again, editing. No, no, you're right. I like that too. Like she's not that foxy talking about herself as the raisin girl, I guess. Like I know I'm not traditionally beautiful, foxy, whatever you're after, but... Like, I got something to offer here, yeah. too. Like, bring me to life. Yeah. Lust after me the way you're lusting after all those girls. Yeah. Because, come on. That's how I... Hit it. I like That's that. That's why I connect to that mm-hmm. verse the most. Mm-hmm. I changed my mind. If you got it. <laughs> Thank you, David. In the springtime of his Oh, and here we are at the end. This is from Mix Magazine, November 1996. You want to read this? The new album possesses a warmth that can be attributed to both the acoustics of the church and the overall recording setup. You can even hear the hammers hitting the strings in the piano. It's an intimate feeling that Amos wanted to capture, like when I try to stick my head inside the belly of the piano, she states, or try to stick my head inside the harpsichord. I wanted you to hear it how I could hear it. The piano hopefully goes inside your stomach. When you put it on a decent hi-fi, you should be able to crank it up and it should just crawl into your capillaries. Hmm. We've talked about that quote before. We've read that quote before, but I wanted to bring it up again. Um, Shay, who put our research together, she mentions, and it's true, how at the end of the song you can hear her taking her hands off the harpsichord keys and just how like those little moments, you know, like you are in, not the bell of the piano, but your head is inside the harpsichord, you know, you're Mm -hmm. in that. I love that. 
And it's there on Blood Roses and Sneeze too, yeah. right? At the end, like it on Yeah, on Clucks. Cl- plucks, yeah. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the rookery ending lyrics? We should. Let's play it. three definitions for the word rookery. A breeding colony of rooks, birds, typically seen as a collection of nests high in a clump of trees. That's one rookery. A second rookery is a dense collection of housing, especially in a slum area. And a third definition is rookery hall is a Georgian-style mansion located near the village of Whirlston in Cheshire, England. Hmm. In the rookery. Which do you think she means? All of the above. Really? Kind of. Okay. Interesting. I originally thought it would be like in the slums, in the rookery, mm-hmm. in the hiding place, in the hidden place. But yeah, you were my enemy. Why do we think those are the actual lyrics? Because they're clear. Okay, but they haven't been published somewhere, right? Cl- they don't need right? to be published. Any they now. My thought on it, why she didn't include it was it just changes the whole tone of the song. Mm. But also, like the the thought I have of it is right there for a minute we change and you were my enemy, and right there for a minute. I was over it. You know how like suddenly, you know that, did you ever watch my so-called life? And then suddenly, you know, Angela Chase is like wallowing over Jordan Catalano for so long. And then one day she just wakes up, puts on blister in the sun and just like Mm -hmm. thrashes about her room and she's over it. Over it. Like that's what I think she's saying. And right there for a minute I was over it and the song stops. It's Mm -hmm. like, it was just kind of like the fog lifted and I'm ready to move on. Mm. Which is something that we've all had after a breakup. Like eventually you get over it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah that's what i think the rookery ending yeah. was intended to do but i think it was probably scrapped because it kind of feels a little like dismissive dismissive or not not so peaceful or harsh so would this have been sort of an epilogue to voodoo or would it have come after twinkle as like a hidden track or oh that was something you talked about earlier too and that mm-hmm. had never occurred to me i thought it would be at the end of voodoo mm-hmm. what do you think yeah it seems like a separate song like obviously a piece of voodoo and inspired by voodoo but i don't feel like it was recorded at the same time really no like i mean meaning in the same take no and there's such like a long period of sustain before i feel like this is almost improvised which to me this seemed like it was taught i say tossed off and you take exception to that but i feel like there are a lot of improvised moments where they just hit record on this album where she was playing 100 percent. and i absolutely thought that was the case here and i think that's still true but where it says you were my enemy i was hearing like you mm, vocalization you know me you know me like that she wasn't really saying something Mm. there Mm -hmm. um but yeah i clearly hear you were my enemy now i don't i'm not sure that's 100 percent what she's saying but i won't argue that she's not (laughs) saying that either but i thought this was a and like an outtake in the most yeah, pure sure. sense. I when I hear that yeah. when I heard that for the first time, my instinct was to say like, okay, they we're working on in the springtime of his voodoo, and she's like, oh, it needs something at the end. Mm-hmm. So she like ran back to the piano, she's like mock, press record, and then she just like vamped on it, yeah. and then it, immediately they decided like ah that doesn't quite fit. Let's and then they did what they did, mm-hmm. and that was just like a piece. 
that was there. It was Agreed. never intended to be on the album. It mm-hmm. was never like it was just the rookery ending mm-hmm. of this song. That being the case, it may actually have more meaning and seem more profound now mm-hmm. that it was added to the end of like the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. edition. Mm-hmm. And how many more moments like this are there? Hundreds, probably, probably, from probably. those recording sessions yeah. where it's like Tori's just playing the piano and singing like, I want them all. Give mm-hmm. them to me now, please. <laughs> I bet there's a ton of stuff that yeah, we'll never know. I'm sure. I would like a 30th anniversary There's probably remaster, like a professional a widow, Courtney Love did it, epilogue yeah. ending yeah, probably that is. we'll never get. Right. <laughs> the bold tells all. So that's what I think about the rookery ending. What is your favorite lyrical moment of this song? Right there for a minute, I knew you so well. For sure. Because of everything we've said already. Like, it wasn't about you and I, and that's not a criticism, but it's just like we had what we were supposed to have. And mm-hmm. for a minute there, we shared that. Yeah. And I was off. To... I mean, I had never interpreted it like that until talking to you today. Had I spent the last 22 years with that, I'm that would probably be my favorite. Like, it, I can see that as I move forward listening to this song, it's going to be a part that's really meaningful to mm-hmm. me because when a relationship is over, at least in my experience, when a relationship is over and you're still harboring any kind of hate or harboring any kind of anger or ill will towards the other person, no matter how much they've done you wrong, if you're still harboring that little bit of ill will, you can't officially say like mm-hmm. you're over it. And so the sentiment of right there for a minute I knew you so well and it was what it was and it's over and you can still honor that time that you spent together. That's beautiful to think mm-hmm. of it that way, but I'd never thought of it that way till today. So great. I love it. My whole. <laughs> <laughs> so great. So great. You're, you're really good at poetry <laughs> analyzation. But my favorite lyrical moment is, I know she's not that foxy boy, that whole verse because mm-hmm. I really feel that in my heart. You got to owe something sometimes. You can't be, you can't live a charmed life and not give back. So marry me, revitalize me. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I When we first started talking about it, I was saying it like I had had this relationship with those lyrics for 20 years and I was sure that she was talking about someone else. But I think I've gone back and I think you're right. I think she's talking about herself mm. and she's not that foxy. I kind of love that the same way that I think she's, or if she is, absolutely talking about herself on Past the Mission. Like I once knew... A hot girl. Mm-hmm. Hot girl. Where is that hot Where's girl? Hot girl. I need the hot girl in myself. But then like going back to past the mission, something I think I said on an episode, a hot girl isn't necessarily like a pretty girl. Yeah, a hot girl. She's a hot girl. But mm-hmm. then also like Tori was hot when she was no, no. a child uh, as a pian- no. pianist. You yeah. know what I mean? She was like, she was a prodigy. She was hot. Like mm-hmm. I, I once knew a girl who could accomplish things or yeah. had something going yeah. for her. And I know she's not that foxy now. But hey, we are what we are in time. (laughs) I love this song, David. I do too. I'm glad we decided to do an episode on it. Me too. And I'm glad it came at track 16. My sweet 16. (laughs) This is a Yanta's cover of In the Springtime of His Voodoo. Mm -hmm. Take it away, Yanta. You can support Yanta at patreon.com slash Yanta. I really like the affirmative way the song begins. It's stylistically set apart from every other song on the album, just very heavily jazz influenced, a lot of swing even. Hey. Yes. You can hear that jazz when the drums kick in under there. Even in the sheet music, it says moderate reggae. So it's just stylistically in a whole other world than anything else on the album. Hey, 
All this stuff that's playing under her sort of scat intro, her like improv, all of that, you can hear how whimsical this is. It just sounds really fun. I'm wondering if, you know, they didn't think the song needed something, so they tried giving it a rookery ending, and that didn't work, so she gave it a scat beginning. Um, I'm wondering if that wasn't added on later. But that beat, that beat is really great, and I hate to harp on the jazz thing, but it does remind me a lot of, like, the Vince Guaraldi, like, Charlie Brown kind of beat, like doo doo doo. And just hearing Yanta's harpsichord there, just un- unfettered, undisturbed. beautiful it's like seamlessly blended it's really interesting that in the other harpsichord songs on the album she's using the piano or other keyboard instruments to create different sonic spaces like but here You know, what's really cool is using the harpsichord to create that different sonic space. Here we go again. Those bass notes. One day I hope to get to the bottom of it by talking to Minno Sinaloo, but the percussion, the percussive elements that he arranged, I mean, everything working together just creates this rich layer, this textured experience. It's nice to hear the piano without any of that accoutrement, but take a moment to just say how amazing the arrangement of the song is.
love it. I love it. Yanta, you're a god. Call me. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Baby. In the springtime of the voodoo, it's one of those songs that is just fantastic to belt in the kitchen. This is a song on the album that I always have a lot of fun when I hear it, and it was an immediate favorite of mine. I enjoy the layers of exploration that are happening in the song. On the top layer, there's a lot of discussion happening about feminine sexuality and empowerment through this and this kind of physical, bodily possession. But at the same time, there's another story going on of always waiting for spring, always looking to the future. And that's the part of the story in this song that I always relate to the most. It's constantly living and waiting. And the kind of situation that puts you in is one of kind of manic energy that I think this song really emphasizes really well. It's just so good at um, taking the aspects of playful songs we saw acting as intermediaries through the rest of the album and letting it truly stretch its legs and kind of have its own agency as a full-fledged song. I think the intro to this song is just one of my favorite parts of the entire album. It's just so fun and sultry and bouncy and just really emphasizes this feeling at the end of the album that is so enrapturing that it really makes it stand out on the rest of the album, but its placement is very careful in making sure that it's kind of the last hurrah before the final two songs of the album to be able to celebrate all that we have learned on the journey. Follow these love spell instructions. Step 1. Cast the spell during a waxing moon, preferably on a Friday. Friday is dedicated to Venus, the goddess of love, and the waxing moon favors attraction. In addition, the gods of love are called during the ritual. Venus, Ursuli, Mary Magdalena, and Shiva. You can further support the spell by scattering orange flowers or honey on the altar, which in many cultures represent the wedding. Step 2. Mold two puppets out of clay, or sew them from white cloth, one of yourself and one of the loved one. Equip them with the features of the gender and fill them with some hair or fingernails when possible. More energy you dedicate to this, stronger it will be. Step 3. Tie the puppets together with rope, or even better, with a red or green sideband. This symbolizes unification of two people, or the sexual act. Then visualize strongly your relationship based on harmony and love. Step 4. After completing the ritual, wrap the dolls in a pink silk scarf as soon as possible and keep in a safe place. The ritual can be repeated several times if necessary. If the magic has been done in good faith and you promise Goddess to make your partner happy and satisfied, it should not take long to see the results. back and I'm on the line with Steven Cisprovencio, who is a licensed clinical social worker from the coast of Central California, where he lives with his husband, who is a pastor. And of course, we're going to unpack that. But first, Steven has a story about in the springtime of his voodoo, so he wanted to be on this episode. Hi, Steven. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm great. Um, it's, I'm so glad that we were able to have you on the show, considering that you emailed us, what was it, like six or seven years ago? 
uh, I think it was a decade at least. Yeah, it was a long time ago, but I'm glad mm-hmm. that you're here. First of all, how did you discover Tori Amos, her music, when and where? Yes. So in the early 90s, my best friend, Leah, um, who always had the best taste in music, um, I think we were cutting school one day. We went to her house to make some breakfast. And she's like, oh, my gosh, we have to listen to this CD. And it was a little earthquake. So she pulled me into her room after we had breakfast. And we played. she played um, some of the songs off of Little Earthquakes. And around that time, I was really kind of headlong into some Janet Jackson, some R&B. <laughs> Paula pop, Abdul. Like super pop. Exactly. Super pop territory. So this was definitely a jarring uh, listen. But it was also extremely interesting. And like it was just drawing me in, like the next song and the next song. It was so different from what I had been listening to um, that it was, it was just catching me. Um, what were your first thoughts on Pele? So Pele was the first album that I got caught up to as it was being released. So she caught me up to Little Earthquakes, and then that was in 94, 95. So then I went and sought out Under the Pink on my own, but that had already been released. And I think the tour was already pretty much over at that point. Um, So uh, Voice for Pele was when I was really kind of watching 120 minutes, um, watching Saturday Night Live to watch her as a special guest. Um, hearing about the tour announcements, reading the dent feverish, feverishly yeah. <laughs> um, early internet, uh, and then seeing, okay, here's a tour, and it was actually coming close. So I think she stopped in Santa Barbara, which is about an hour, hour and a half from where I lived. Um, so my boyfriend, Dan, at the time, um, and I bought some tickets and went to the Santa Barbara show and loved it, got to meet her. She did a post-show meet and greet. So we brought her some gifts and some letters and stood patiently while she came out and shook our hands and heard our gushing stories and then immediately went home and I think we bought some LA tickets because she was performing in LA the next weekend. I think we went to night two. It was a night where Butterfly was being performed. So um, 96 LA. My first thoughts in listening to Boys for Paley when it was released, we did, I was working in a mall at the time. So I got to just leave my job on release day and go down to Sam Goody or Musicland and um, pick up the album then. And then I couldn't listen to it because I worked in a store where you couldn't play the album over the PA. So I just stared at it the whole shift going, uh. <laughs> and finally got home. I actually went to uh, my boyfriend Dan's house and we went into his room and um, just put it on his CD player. And my thoughts when it first started playing were from the other two albums like that start immediately on note one. You know, the second one, here's the, the first note was just, whoa, what is this? Where, what's that clicky noise? Um, Gosh, it's just the slow start, and then you knew you were in for something at that point. The first song taking almost a minute and a half to really, truly start to get going. What was your initial uh, impression of Voodoo? Perfect placement on the album is what I thought, because um, kind of moving through some more of the somber songs as it goes past um, Not the Red Baron into Donut Song, favorite song, Donut Song, um, and then the songs Same. that come after um, Voodoo, also kind of lower tempo and are kind of moving you out of the album to the future. Perfect tempo pacing. You needed a little bit of perk up there at the end, a little bit of laugh too. There's a lot of pop culture references in the entire album. I think probably more than any other Tori in this album, that one has shoehorned in so many pop culture references, but that song also has quite a lot packed into it um, from, oh gosh, uh, Mr. Zulu, um, the reference, uh, at the beginning to standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, just all the stuff is packed in. So it's kind of a fun song right when you need it. 
I'm going to quote from your first email to us. In 1996, I was in a community college English 102 composition course drooling over my professor. He assigned us to take a song, movie, or other piece of art and explore the symbol or metaphors. And I chose voodoo and remember focusing a lot on the two girls, 65, escaping from their Christianity. So you wrote an essay, right? Yes. Tell me everything about it. Uh, so choosing, I knew that I was going to pick something from Tori Amos when he assigned the, when he made the assignment, pick something from pop culture or some piece of poetry or something and unpack the symbolism. I knew I was already so deep into Tori. I was like, well, I have to, <clears throat> this is my wheelhouse. Um, but then it was kind of like, well, what do I choose from the album? There's so much here. What could I choose? And because I had a little bit of flirtation with him, I didn't actually go with some of the ones that were to my heart, probably the most connected to me. Um, Cause I didn't want to, start gushing in terms of like love and know the songs about sadness. And so I chose voodoo because of it. I liked the symbol of the two girls, 65. Um, and I could easily kind of, without um, tipping my emotional cards to him, um, still participate in, in the exploration in the essay. What did you say about the two girls? Um, for me, those two girls are, are recovering Christians. Do you remember that shirt from the 96 tour? I sure do. I still have that shirt. I wore it proudly and, um, made people very concerned around me in my community. <laughs> so for me, those two girls are the recovering Christians, and that's their story. And in the springtime of its voodoo is um, even at 65, they're saying, you know what? Um, I need some springtime on my prunes. Or I need some voodoo on my prunes, excuse me. And they're kind of solving it for themselves. They jump in the truck. There's a gun strapped behind them in the window, and off they go um, trying to figure out what their the next stage of their life is going to bring without Christianity, maybe just defining it for themselves in another way. And so voodoo for me in that, in that song also is kind of, it's a nature-based religion um, or spirituality that has a Christian overlay to it. Um, but underneath it is very much a nature-based um, kind of pagan uh, mythology. Um, so for them to turn to voodoo, it was kind of interesting to you know, avoid this Christian myth, but still with a veneer of Christianity, let me see, there's something deeper going on here and kind of seeking out voodoo for their prunes. Hearing you say it, it makes so much sense. David and I have just wrestled with if the piece, the hot piece tied up in the backseat was a man, was it a, was it the cornflake girl? Who was it? I mean, and hearing you say it's just a gun strapped in the back makes so much sense. It gives me that Thelma and Louise picture that they're, you exactly. know, on this journey together, these two girls. Um where were you when we did our line by line? <laughs> and for me, the symbolism of the gun, too. The piece is a gun strapped, probably, you know, a rifle strapped to the back window. Maybe it's the rifle from the, the CD cover. Um, right. Um, also has the masculinity, so kind of taking on a masculine symbol um, on your own. So That's really great. That's why um, I like the gun. Yeah, uh, it's so clear when you say it. What is your favorite lyrical moment? The Mr. Zulu uh, reference really gets me. Um, my husband now is a huge Star Trek fanatic. Um, but even before I knew him and way back when it was just, it was an, it was just a, a lyric that popped out. Um, Mr. Sulu warp speed ahead. Let's get out of here. Wherever we're at, we need to get to someplace else quickly. Um, that was a fun, I love that lyric. What does it mean to you? What is, she says, uh, me pureed sanitarily, Mr. Sulu warp speed. What does that mean? I think Christianity kind of does that to women. You're either the Madonna or the whore. So pureed sanitarily, maybe the more Madonna side of that um, sex position or those, that dichotomy and kind of saying, you know, there's, there's more than just this 
pure femininity that's there. Let's get out of here. Let's, Mr. Sulu, let's go to another universe. Let's go to another galaxy. We got the one here is not satisfying. It's not, um, it's not appealing to me. So let's get out of here. Interesting that she's still turning to a man in the lyric, Mr. Sulu. Um, but she would be the captain of that ship. She would be the one telling Mr. Sulu warp speed ahead. Mm, that's fantastic. So you're married to a pastor now. Let's get into your personal life real quick. How is, how is he, how is it to be a Tory fan while married to a pastor? Um, it's wonderful. He'll probably release and listen to this. So I should say it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Does he listen to Tory? I don't think he was a Tory fan or really knew much about it until he met me. And then I kind of warned him. I warned him. I, I steeped him ahead of time. Just a little bit of songs. Let's listen to something else. There's a tour coming up in 2007. Uh, let's go to the Oakland show. Uh, well, I hope to see him in 2020 on the road with you. Can you can you tell our listeners where they can find you online if they wanted to stock your social media? Sure. It's um, I think my main handle is more coded M O R C O D E D, and on Instagram mainly. That's the only one I have. So more coded on Instagram, Stephen Sisk Provencio. You've made you've lifted the fog on this song. I feel very embarrassed about our line by line that we just went through, but it's okay. We all learn from our mistakes. Happy New Year. Bye. This is an acoustic guitar cover by Samantha Villavert. Uh, we'll link to it in our show notes, songsoftoriamus.com. We're back. <laughs> We're back in the live section. Okay, so in the springtime of his voodoo has been performed a total of 122 times live from 96 to 2017. We've lost our metal status, I think. We never really developed a true well, one. We should have. <laughs> we tried. We should have. Alloy. It's steel. Yeah, it's not bronze, right? Not yeah, quite. No. It's, yeah. It's copper. Mm, steel. Maybe copper too. It's steel. definitely not a hinge that is faltered. We'll, we'll figure it out. Don't okay. worry. But so in nineteen ninety six, Tori would perform the song on the piano with Caton on the acoustic guitar, and those were some of my, among some of my favorite versions because mm. those were crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's play. This is from Music Plus nineteen ninety six. Um, this is Tori talking about Caton on tour. So at this time, are you with your piano or you have a band with you? Um, the piano's there, the harpsichord's there. Oh, yeah. And um, Steve Caton, who has played on all three of my records. Well, I should say four because he was in Why Can't Tori Me? <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's my buddy of 10 years. He's a very dear friend. And when I thought of playing with anybody... Um, I just went, you know, Caton, for whatever reason, it's like 
we seem to, um, I don't know, know what each other's going to put on our sandwich. We just know. And um, he has come for the whole tour. Oh. So you, uh, you have how many musicians? Just, just, just him. Just him. Oh, wow. She performed it 58 times on the Do Drop In tour. Mm -hmm. Which is what, like 25%? Yeah, I would say. A little say. more. 200 shows about. Mm -hmm. And you want to hear the first time she ever did it? Yep. This is 20th of March in Hamburg, but oh, there's no recording. No, I know. So, okay. I know. Let's get right to it. So, the, f the first performances of this song are Lost to Time, as many of them are. But first performance. Perform oh, sorry. Performance, performance of this song is Lost to Time. But did Tori ever perform this song on the harpsichord we'll never on know. the drop in tour. We'll never know. It could have been the very the only review from the first time she performed it, mm. March 20th in Hamburg. Oh. The only the day after my birthday. And that's probably why she did it. Obviously. The only review of that show is from someone that says Tori was great. The best version of Winter I've ever heard. Well, they had it's their like, priorities in a line. Like, thank God we reviewed that <laughs> one song. No, that was the first time she played it in the encore, in the second encore. So I'm inclined to say it was not on the harpsichord. Mm -hmm. She'd bring out the organ. Mm -hmm. yeah. The harpsichord would go away. Yes. The Hammond would come out. Yeah. So that's my educated guess. No, that's I, what we're here to do. Is we're here to we're we're Torima scholars who are here to hypothesize on what we don't know using educated guesses. Oh my God! If only there was a graduate degree for that, where we could get paid. <laughs> we would be teaching but, those yeah. classes. Well, would we? TA. TA. But um, <laughs> I'm asking because I assume that to be the case. And when that song was performed, it was piano based for sure, very jazzy. There was Kate on the guitar. But later, when this uh, song was requested at the beginning of Plugged, for example. Tori would say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have the harpsichord. And this song was played on the harpsichord or lived on the harpsichord. And we were all like, um, really, Tori? Was this song ever played on the harpsichord? So I was wondering if maybe, and it was in her mind, that there had been early performances of it where she played it on the harpsichord. But I, I always interpreted that, and I think rightfully so, as her just not wanting to play it. Right. And coming up with a reason for why right. she shouldn't have to. Right. Um, well, at least she gave you a reason. Yeah. Not like, fuck off, dweeb. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, no, as far as I know, she's never played it on the harpsichord. No, okay. Um, the first time, the first recording we have of it is from the 24th of March in Frankfurt. Would you like to hear that? It's not on the harpsichord, though. Yes. Yes. Here we go. <laughs> um, what's really interesting about this one she almost seems to go up on the words with a really long intro, but she recovers. So here we go. Sorry. 
good, mm-hmm. but this is my favorite version from 96. This is her on MTV's Unplugged with Katen. This is your favorite version. From this era. Yeah. From 96. Still early. Because I had never seen to that point, and not even at that point when I watched it, but like as years went on and we looked back on it, mm-hmm. there was never another time, and fight me, <laughs> someone bet me, <laughs> there was never another time where she just relaxed and said, hey, Katen, take a guitar solo. Mm. Now, Steve isn't the kind of player to take a guitar solo, mm-hmm. and Tori's not the kind of musician that lets you know mm-hmm. other musicians take a solo, and that's what I think is so memorable about this performance is because she's playing, and she's letting him take the lead, he's letting her take the lead, and they're genuinely just like riffing off each other and seemingly having a great time if you watch the video. So here is. In the springtime of his voodoo, or as it's called on, when they write it on the screen, voodoo, on MTV's Unplugged. That always bugged me, I know. Uh, April 11th, performance was by no means the first time that they'd played it but right this was notoriously a kind of uh difficult performance for her mm-hmm. so do you think it kind of took on a new life in this moment like she was sort of leaning on him and the guitar kind of took over and this song continued to evolve from this performance on or was this just kind of the way that it was on this tour if you look at the set list for unplugged not the way it was aired but the uh-huh. way she played it you know, she left the stage. So she did Leather Blood Roses putting the damage on. And then she did Cornflake Girl three times. Weird placement for damage, too. Yeah, but to be okay. so early. Yeah. yeah. So she did Leather Blood Roses putting the damage on. And then Cornflake Girl three times. So you can assume, like, it's mm. all kind of going haywire mm-hmm. right then. Then Donut Song in the springtime of his voodoo and Silent. And then she left after Silent or in the middle of Silent all these years. So if she had come back okay. from the stage and then played voodoo, I would say, Fair. yeah, like she's relying yeah. on him a little bit. But maybe this was just like always interesting. Okay, like the arrangement that they had agreed yep. on. But you know, they're 
having a ball it feels like i think so too and i've <laughs> i've mentioned my piano teacher from this era you have once or twice yeah and meg falk i love you i hope you're out there somewhere she somehow caught this performance like late one night on mtv unplugged and she specifically called out voodoo and over the rainbow as moments that stood out to her mm-hmm. um and just like the interplay between her and Caitlin and the way she was playing the piano and um I don't know. I thought that was interesting that as a piano teacher, that that was a standout moment for her. Yeah. So then I, I mean, took her to a t- do drop in show. Well, that it's because also like if you watch the show unplugged, it's the only song like it where she and Caton like Caton's giving swells here and there. But this time they're like playing. It kind of feels like a band. Like it feels like. Yeah. Aside from Cornflake Girl. I guess. Oh, yeah. You're yeah, right. That's yeah. true. Um, here's when she performed it on May 15th on the Conan O'Brien show. Mm. Ready for this? Mm. This is great. Here we go. Ooh, I got an angry snitch. Girls, you know what I mean. When Sweetland at a heap doesn't do the trick. Me, a pure Caitlin, she's wearing blue. Uh huh. That's weird. That's <laughs> not her signature color That's not. by any means. Right. But no. a good performance. Yeah. I like when Caitlin's there. I approve. Um, I do want to read this from Steve, the sweet fat man, who posted to Really Deep Thoughts. A couple of other thoughts on the Conan appearance. Isn't it cool that the censors missed got an angry snatch? This shows why it's important to use other naughty words besides those that start with F. Also, it was nice to see Caton. Like Tori, he's much cuter without the YKTR poodle hair. Mm. So, like I said... Oh my God. I tried to say my vagina on TV so many times, and it got bleeped by the same... Got an angry vagina. Vagina. Starts with an F. Vagina. Eve. Virginia. Yeah. Got an angry Virginia. <laughs> oh, that too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a bit from Tori's performance of Voodoo on the 11th of May in 96 in New Haven, Connecticut, with a little bit beforehand. Here we go. Okay. Tori, take a little advice from me. Never be embarrassed to tell your friends to ride the bull. Um, and this was a legendary performance. Miami, Florida, October 23rd. Um, she performed Voodoo right before she performed Cooling for the very first mm. time. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Voodoo. Voodoo. <laughs> 
Here it is on the final show, second to last show of the tour in Boulder, Colorado. Oh. You were there. It's the last time she played it on the tour. When it's fair. That's the second to last show. So what do you want? neither here nor there but it does serve to note to go back to the idea that the prunes are a reference to the raisin girls it does serve to note that here live she's throwing in a little bit of what she was doing in cornflake girls so it doesn't prove anything but it shows that her head was in the sort of same space so let's compare the two really quick That was nice. <laughs> oh my god, ridiculous! What? This I don't know. This arrangement sort of encapsulated everything that was great about this yeah. tour and the relationship that she had with Kate. But you're right. Go ahead. It was nothing. It's fine. <laughs> it was no. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, I'm used to her being amazing. Yeah, it was so, an embarrassment of riches. We right. get it. Yeah, yeah. Like she was amazing. <laughs> of course, I can't say everything's amazing because then I'm overstating everything. No. She did a great job. However, the monumental thing about that performance was that it was the last performance for five years that is kind of weird yeah she didn't do it in 98 she didn't do it in 99 Mm -hmm. she didn't do it in 1000 because she was having a baby (laughs) weren't we all though right but then she came back and she did it twice on the 2001 strange little tour which i was at the show where she debuted the song again mm-hmm. and i was sitting by danica who you can get to know her on our tour all year episode with danica it's on our tour all night feed available to the public by this point because that's an older episode yeah um but in 2001 she did it for the first time in phoenix arizona here we go this is the 19th of november the fall you don't have to brag about it for christ's the sake all in arizona Ugh. frigid 90 degrees frigid 85 
That was great. It's great. That was a great performance. So, we were dead. We were dying. We were dead. That was the first time I experienced This had to have been a death. request, right? Like people must have been asking for oh, this. Oh, yeah. The whole tour. Uh-huh. 100%. And? And she did it. Just piano? No, it was on the Fender Rhodes. Oh. And the piano. It was on both. Oh. Yeah. She did it twice, that tour. She did it again in Munich, which I also loved, but it wasn't, of course, as good as Phoenix, which I was at. Mm-hmm. So that's why we played that one. Okay. So you can never trust her with voodoo. After that, okay, you have to understand what we've been through. 96, she plays it a lot, and then it's like nowhere for a long, long time, and mm-hmm. then she brings it out only twice. You can never trust that it's going to ever come back. So I'll fast forward you to Scarlet's Walk. She performed it 22 times, so it was, you know, a, a C-level staple. But at the f- most. Yeah, but the first time she performed it was at the opening night in Tampa, which I was at also, and it was the second song of the set, and blew everyone away like she did you know well third song if you can't womp them and then a sort of fairy tale and then voodoo mm-hmm. and it was like holy god this is gonna be here every night she's worked up an arrangement it was with the band it was on the piano in the roads it was great so let's play a little of that this is from november 7th 2002 in tampa That was 22 times performed on Scarlet's Walk and nine hmm. times performed on Lada Pianos. Same tour. Different. I resent dividing that into... Anyway. Anyway. Again, how you can never trust her with this song. Or your heart. It disappears again in 2005. She doesn't <laughs> perform it at all on that sensual summer. But she brings it back in 2007 to perform it 13 times with the band on the piano. She did it twice as Tori. But many more times. And 11 times as Isabel. I don't understand. Let's, Eve, shed some light on this for me, please. Let's unpack it. Let's yeah. unpack it. First, let's hear it. This is from Frankfurt, Germany on the 30th of June. This is the mm-hmm. second time she played it on the tour, the very first recording. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
let's unpack it. Why would Isabel sing voodoo? There has to be a political slant. Right. Right? Isabel was the political one. Yeah. The photographer. The only thing I can come up with is like these... These people that we've voted into office have promised us something that they're not delivering. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know, but I'm not satisfied with that. Well, I also think there's a little political. Every road leads back to my door. Got all your crosses loaded. There's religion in there. Religion is warfare. Plus, we're recovering Christians. We've got a piece tied up in the backseat. So mm. there is a little bit of like a, you know, she was the not only the political one, but the activist. So there's maybe something in there. But it's to me much more a song about that. Like if any, like I think Tori should do this song. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. hundred percent Tori. If anything else. Clyde. Clyde. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I don't get this at all. As I don't even song. No, but, I like that we're willing to lock eyes and be like Tori, but if not, a Clyde, obviously. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, we're like staring at each other like it's like this is an actual Which we absolutely did. conversation. <laughs> um, but like I said at dinner, sometimes a political girl just likes to party too. Yeah, well, so. <laughs> in the house, that might be why. We're in the Senate. So then, like, you can never trust her with this song. It didn't appear again until 2014 on the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour. She did it on the Hammond organ, a total reworking. On the Hammond and the piano. I don't know. The placement on this tour, the songs that were performed there were very special. And they all got a Hammond uh, piano rearrangement, right? There was another Girl's Paradise and Voodoo. Whenever they were performed, they were performed in that place, I think. Oh, in a spot in the set list. Yes, right. Okay. When she plugged in rearrangements of a Mm -hmm. couple of key songs, Mm -hmm. and one of them was Voodoo, and one of them was Another Girl's Paradise, Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't necessarily think that those would be songs that would be given, like, primary status, but... I don't know. They were they kind of became centerpieces of their respective shows. And yeah. I thought both of those arrangements were very special. I agree. The voodoo arrangement is really Yeah, I loved both. I thought, well, we're not talking about another girl's paradise. Yet. But they were both pretty amazing. I agree. Mm-hmm. And unexpected, right? Yeah. And this is from the tour debut on the first night of the tour in Cork, Ireland on May 5th, 2014. Um, there's a couple things I want to talk to about and play. Let's let's play the chorus. Ready? Yeah. So there's an emphasis here on he was going to. There's the emphasis there that's not on the album. There's the emphasis there that's not in other live performances. And I love that. I think it's really, really great. She's also singing it from a very, like she seems to be having the time of her life when she's playing it. She seems so happy. She looks fantastic. But there's another part that I want to play. Let's play the this part at the end. It's not too 
it seems almost like a love song when she says, every road leads back to your door. Mm-hmm. Every road I will follow, I will always follow it back to you. Mm-hmm. It just is so, that there's something so moving about that, mm-hmm. that it's not in any, any other version either. I still think we should watch this entire show because there's something special happening here. And I feel the same way when she sings past the mission and she's reconnecting with these older songs in a very, very present way. And when she sings, I once knew a hot girl, she smiles to herself almost and tosses her head back. And it brings me to tears almost every time. I watch. I'll be honest with it. you. I I have never watched that Cork oh my 2014 God. show. It's too much. Okay. <laughs> um. Well, so we should do that this month. Okay. Um. Watch the Cork show. Do like a on our tour all night feed. Do like one of those special episodes where we like mystery science theater it where we like talk about it as it plays yeah i think we should have like a wind down where like we do a live thing we have people pour some drinks and like we're all gonna watch x show we should do it at a holiday party yes yeah oh my god (laughs) anyhow um so that was 2014 i mean she performed it in 2014 17 times so she was obviously connected to that song Mm -hmm. because that's a that's almost half the shows yeah and you saw it right no Yes, you did. I didn't. I didn't do that many shows in 2014. What? I know. I only did three shows. I did two shows. Four? What did you do? I did uh, Philly and New York. What? Yes. Oh, my God. That's weird. I didn't yeah. be counting. One, two. I think I did four, maybe five. Oh, yeah, because you uh, flew to uh, the last show, right? Oh, shit. I did like six. Yeah. What happened? Uh, uh, anyway. David. It was a great tour. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Which is why I was like, I'm never doing this again. That's why in 2017, I went hard. <laughs> and 2020, I'm going hard, too. Because 2020, I'm going to do well, the whole tour, including the overseas portion. Oh, are you? Mm-hmm. 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 So in 2017, ask me how many times she did it in 2017. How many times did she perform this song? Half. Oh. Yeah. She did it half times. Though so it's one of the only songs that has a point five at the end. So she's performed it 121.5 times. Oh, dear. She did it on the 29th of November in Phoenix again. She did it with Horse With No Name. I was there, right? Were yeah. you? Yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah, you were. Yeah. Okay. Here it is with Horse <laughs> With No Name. God, I was having problems.
All right. Well, that's our live section. I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it, too. Well, another one in the can. David, we only have two more tracks to go in this album. I'm kind of sad. Me too. Yeah. But I'm not going to let that stop me. Uh, no, I'm looking for a way to prolong it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You can prolong it by listening to them all uh, again. <laughs> I can, or they can. The journey we've taken from the beginning of this season to now, profound. Sure. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we still have two more to go. But we put a lot of heart and soul into these. Mm-hmm. We're almost done with Pele. I mean, can we talk a little bit about the B-sides? Mm-hmm. Just like a tiny bit. Sure. There are so many. Are you t- intimidated? No. We should do the B-sides while we're on a retreat. We should go find a vacation Like home. all at once, maybe? Maybe. Like, yeah. I mean, we should find a vacation Who place. Who could say? We have thoughts. We have memories. We, like a New Year's trip we should mm. do. Oh, no, no one, yeah. Like a boy's cruise. A boys it cruise. Room, it doesn't rhyme with booze cruise. Boys cruise. Boys cruise. Yeah, I think we should. I like a booze cruise with boys. <laughs> what would you like the people to know about the Pele season as we wrap, as we come to a, an end soon? Mm, I hold it very near and dear mm-hmm. because that's the season in which I came aboard. Mm-hmm. But I think we're eagerly moving on. Mm-hmm. I'm to, excited to acquire girl. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited because things change for her a and lot. We have so, we have, you know, <laughs> God help you all. We have so much to say, but we have more to say about Choir Girl and the shows because we were both on so many shows. Yeah. And tour, so, you know. <laughs> well, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos. You can also follow us on all of our social at songs of Tori Amos on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Sign up for our newsletter, songsoftoryamos.com, where you can check all of our old episodes all the stuff that we have on our website. If you have a moment to go over to iTunes to rate us and review us, it really does help us uh, in the algorithm. It makes our show, it gives our show a little bit more exposure. Also, please take a minute to go support Nancy Shanks at gofundme.com slash ALS relief for Nancy Shanks. And that has dashes in between each word, ALS dash relief dash for dash Nancy dash Shanks. Um, do it right away, please. What else do we want to say? I'm so excited to be done with in the springtime of his voodoo. I <laughs> loved every minute of it. I had a lot of fun recording this episode. Me too. And Beanie was here with us because she's oh, because on she's, the song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. You guys, she's really amazing. She's really you amazing. You should. So give what you can. Any little bit helps. And Beanie really needs our help right now. So please do that. Anyway, David, thank you for coming over. I'm glad I did. <laughs> I'm glad you did too. Um, and thanks to our audience for listening. And we'll see you next time.
Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamis.com.